1: Talk is about
0: to begin. Hey, 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 come on in.
2: Welcome back to another Buckeye Talk. Another rapid fire. I think we're dropping this on Wednesday. Again, it's a little chaotic here. Holiday week. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. Great questions from the texters related to Michigan and what Michigan does this playoff season. How will that affect Ohio State? Some Elias Rick's questions. Freshmen who could make big leaps next year, our worst holiday travel stories, Julian Fleming question, position switches, should Justin Fields have stayed at Ohio State this year? Um, Joshua Perry question, Spider-Man stuff, and some Jim Knoll stuff at the end that we'll get to. But let's dive right in. And again, if you want to be part of this, I'll suggest it one more time. I think it makes an interesting, I'm not going to say great holiday gift. I'm going to say interesting holiday gift. You go in your stocking. And you pull out a little envelope and like you open it up and it says, what is this? And it says, subscription to Buckeye Talk. It's like, what uh, what is this? This is nothing. And it's like, well, it was only four bucks a month. So you, my friend, I bought you six months worth for $24. And so here's 24 bucks, go get signed up and you put your phone in and now you, you get the texts all the time. If you're desperate, right? There's some procrastinators out there. I know you people are procrastinators. Right now, you're desperate and you have an Ohio State fan in your life. And you're like, oh my God, I forgot to get something. This will seem like you put thought into it. Don't tell anybody, right? It'll seem like, wow, what a creative gift. It's actually desperate, Buckeye talk. So if you want to do it, give it a shot. Let's get to Michigan. This is interesting, I think, because we're in an interesting world here. And it's from, it's the world where Michigan's in the playoff for the first time. This is from the 614. This person asked like 11 questions and I love it. We're going to do their top two. If Michigan wins a playoff game, is that good or bad for Ohio State? And if Michigan wins the national title, is that good or bad for Ohio State? I saved this from the last time, Nathan, because I thought it was such an interesting thing to start with. Either of those two scenarios, does what Michigan does in the playoff, does that have an effect on Ohio State?
1: I think it benefited Ohio State in a lot of ways when it was clearly the best program in the Big Ten. And if Michigan goes into the playoff and wins games and then especially goes on and we're to win a national championship, I don't think that's good for Ohio State. I think it's better for Ohio State if Michigan loses as quickly as possible.
0: Steven, do you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, it's it's better if Michigan doesn't win a national championship this year. For Ohio State's purposes, but even if they do it, it can very easily just be a blip on the radar. Very similar to LSU winning a national title in 2019 and Alabama not being in the playoff, depending on you know how the years that follow go. Now that's granted that some of that's hindsight 2020, but still it could easily be that. But yes, it's better if Michigan just doesn't win a national title, so Ohio State fans don't have to deal with that. All right, so let me let me ask this question.
2: So the the two parts of it are would would Michigan winning a playoff game and or a national title signal that Michigan is now the best program in the Big Ten? Or would it signal that they're about to be, that they're going to gain momentum from that? And that means more recruiting momentum and they're going to get more good players. And they are in reality, but also in perception, if they win this, would they become the best program in the Big Ten? I don't know about that. And the other thing is, does what Michigan, whatever Michigan does this postseason, what effect does it have on the Ohio State-Michigan game for next November? Because, Nathan, I would maybe argue that the Michigan-Ohio State game next November might determine which is the best program in the Big Ten, regardless of what Michigan does this offseason. Is that, is that possible yeah. to view it that way?
1: So what Michigan does over this next month, I don't think has a lot of effect in the short term on who ends up being the best program in the Big Ten for the next couple of years. Ohio State has already positioned itself to contend for that. And Michigan, I think and probably has done so better than Michigan has in some ways. We know the young players Ohio State had this past year maturing into bigger players opportunities these next couple of years we think Ohio State was poised to do something really important the next couple of years regardless of what happened in 2021 so I think it's more about the long term it's like does is momentum is, is Michigan able to build more momentum by winning games over this next month for probably beyond 2023 than if it were to just lose I think that's where the the, I agree with you that next year's game I think is is going to kind of stand alone regardless of what Michigan does in the next couple of weeks. i don't I think that will determine the things in the big Ten next year. I don't think the the, the next week doesn't determine anything about the big Ten for net for 2022
2: Okay, so if that's the case, is it possible that it would be better for the big Ten, which would then be better for Ohio State? If there's another national title contender in this league, but then a national title contender that Ohio State beats, that, that Michigan rises, because here's I guess here's the question. Michigan doing well in the postseason, whether they beat Georgia or whether they win it all, that lifts Michigan. But as long as Ohio State stays above Michigan, then that might lift Ohio State too. And we had talked in the past that Ohio State's biggest issue was getting in so a better perception of the Big Ten might be better for Ohio State long-term as long as they stay above Michigan. But would a Michigan playoff win national title be the beginning of here comes Michigan? Now all of a sudden Michigan's getting five stars because they're a national champion or because they beat an SEC team in a semifinal. That's where, I, that's where I'm not sure. I don't know if Michigan leaps to – Michigan's going to be a threat to win the recruiting title based on one national title this year. I don't know. You know what I mean, Stephen? Like, I don't know if that would do it. They would still have to follow it up. But for if I'm Ohio State, I almost kind of like the idea of, I mean, you'd have to eat some crow as Michigan's walking around with national championship rings. But the idea of, like, hey, you're mad at Michigan? Now, now they're the national champs. Now you're really mad. And then when if, if Ohio State needs to beat Michigan next year, regardless, now you're beating the defending national champions. I almost like that idea, Steven.
0: I get what you're saying. I just don't know if they have to be the national champs for that to happen. I think getting to the no, game No, 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 alone, but I'm
2: not, no, no. It doesn't. It, okay. But but it's about, Is it? does it make it harder for Ohio State to win that game, do you think, if Michigan is better? If Michigan does better this postseason, does it make it harder for Ohio State to win that game next year?
0: No. It just puts a little bit more – shine on it
1: I mean I think I'm thinking just more long term it's not like what happens in this next month you know this next recruiting class is done for for everyone more or less and 2023 is already started I think it's just the longer term ramifications if Michigan has a national championship even a national championship game appearance in this recent of its history what does that meaning for the for the classes putting together three four five years in the future the the players who are watching Michigan do this right now does it mean that they get the next Aiden Hutchinson slash Chase Young do they start to take some of that away from Ohio State especially at a point where Ohio State may not have Larry Johnson forever
2: so I guess the point is does Ohio State want another major national title contender in the conference or no
1: well it has a contender I just don't know if it wants that team to then go do it
0: (laughs) yeah yeah that that, I agree with that it's like there's nothing wrong with you making the playoff. We're talking about a whole nother discussion if they actually go to, go to the playoff and they win it.
2: I mean, because like Michigan State made a playoff, but then Michigan State was never right. at that level. So that had no effect. So I don't count that. Like just because you make the playoff doesn't mean you're all the way there. Right. So I guess right. the question is, is mm-hmm. there room? We talk about like the tier one teams. If the tier one teams have been Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, is there room for another tier one team in the Big Ten? Or can wanna, there only be one and like Michigan would then pass Ohio State and knock Ohio
1: State down? I want to condense two of the points that, that you guys have made so far, which is Doug, you bring up Michigan State makes the playoff, but quickly just kind of vanishes into history. Like a lot of people maybe have nationally have forgotten that Michigan State ever made a playoff whereas LSU gets into the playoff and wins a national championship. And I think we look now at LSU, even though LSU had a really bad year this year and Michigan state had a pretty good one. I still look at those programs as being on different tiers because one has proven it can get into the playoff and win a national championship. And I think LSU is more dangerous to Alabama than Michigan state is to Ohio state because of that. So I would argue that if you're in Ohio state's position, you don't want a, a, especially your biggest rival, but, anybody maybe to elevate itself. I understand the point you were trying to make about it being better for the big 10. I suppose the one caveat here would be that if Michigan were to like win the national championship this year and then Ohio state were to come back and do it the next two years or something like that, or get it, you know, get, get into the playoff and and be in the national championship picture again, then does that then make them, does that elevate the whole big 10? I guess I would listen to that argument, but that's, that's assuming things that are very much not yet in in reality. So
2: I guess the question is your comparison. Cause I was looking at even like uh, LSU is a better, more recent comparison. I was looking at Auburn, right? Auburn won the national title in 2010. Bama won it in 09, 11 and 12. So it's like Auburn was good for one year. It was Stephen, sort of, as you said, like a blip, it was a Cam Newton blip. J- Gene Chizik got fired a couple of years later. They did not sustain that. Bama lost three games that year, including one to Auburn by one point. So, like, was that bad for Bama? So, Nathan, like, is, was LSU being good and now LSU has raised its expectations to the point that Coach O was out on his us two years later and they, they overpaid Notre Dame's coach because they want to be a national championship level team? Has that hurt Bama? So, yes, LSU is more dangerous. But is that bad for Bama? Or does it just amp up the I, I, SEC profile, which amps up everybody's profile? And yeah, there's good teams in your conferences. You got to go beat them. They're in your division. You got to go beat them. Sure, that's tough. You're not going to maybe beat them every year,
1: but 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 Ohio State's not Bama. Nobody's Bama. It's, it's, I understand what you're trying to get at, but that's a very very hard comparison to try to make because I think Alabama might be the one invincible program in some ways that, uh, that what the other people around them do almost doesn't matter. I don't think I put Ohio State in that category.
0: No, but I will say that even with those situations, there's context behind why they happened. I mean, Joe Burrow versus like Alabama's starting quarterback got hurt. And all of a sudden they're throwing Mac Jones in there. Uh, Cam Newton came aboard and like Alabama just wasn't, they just had like an off down year. So even with this situation, it's almost, if Michigan goes and wins it, it's almost hindsight of, oh, Ohio State had a young team, a first year starting quarterback. And a lot of people would never played in the game before. And Michigan brought back a bunch of guys because they had that COVID extra year, plus an, uh, Aiden Hutchinson, who's basically the next Bosa, all that had to come together for that to happen. And that's why I'm, I'm harping on the blip territory of this right now, because it seems much easier to just say that's going to happen than to be like, because we've seen that before, than to just be like, oh, yeah, this means something going forward in the future. It could just mean it took an off year for Ohio State in the best possible version of the other program in the conference for this to happen. So it could end up meaning nothing.
1: Maybe, but I'm just saying that if Ohio, right now, Ohio State in recruiting, in branding in every way can say we are the Big Ten program that can win a national championship and we are the only one and the results would back that up. And they might not be able to say that in a month. And I think that damages Ohio State in a way that it doesn't damage Alabama.
2: That's a pretty good, succinct view of what we've talked about for the last 12 minutes. I would, <laughs> argue, I would argue to some degree. The bottom line is who wins that game? Ohio State versus Michigan. And that's the most important thing, obviously. So if Michigan wins a national title, that means they'll get more good players, which means they have a better chance to win that game year after year, right? Which is it's not builds 2022,
1: on it. but year after year, yes.
2: Yeah. But I like the idea of Michigan's the national champion, and then Ohio State has to beat that team next year. And even but in that scenario, right? That so Michigan might win if they win the national title. They get some recruits right now because they've gotten. They have four guys in their 2023 class. They got a guy named Raylan Wilson, who's the number 73 mm-hmm. overall player in 2023. He's a linebacker from Florida. He committed in December. Like he's a post-beating Ohio State commit. So that's the kind of player that's like, hey, Michigan went, went and got a linebacker in Florida to commit in the class of 2023. Nathan, if they win the national title, you're saying that's going to happen even more. And that's going to be the kind of long-term thing. Raylan Wilson's not going to make Michigan beat Ohio State next year, but he's a good player that maybe they weren't getting a ton of those guys before. I just still think, here's the thing. You can make your last point, but everybody listen to this. They're again, they're grinding their teeth. Every Ohio State fan wants Michigan to lose every game. I get that. I get that. It's not about what you want. You hate Michigan. You want them to lose. I understand that. But at some point, it's like at some point, do you want the conference to be good or not? Like, do you want everybody to rise up? Do you want the SEC to be the number one most dominant conference and that's it? And every time you have that conversation, it's the SEC and, and everybody laughs at everybody else and Ohio State stands alone? Or do you want your conference to be better? Because if you want your conference to be better, then you want Michigan to at least go beat Georgia, right? At least like go, go show out, man, because otherwise you're still going to have Ohio State and guys who are a step short. and. At some point, like, do you want to be surrounded by greatness, or do you want to be surrounded by goodness that you're p- pretty sure you can beat every year? Because this is this is where that could change. All right, Nathan, you finish this up.
1: I I understand that point that you're making, and I I I think it's a valid one. And I'm not saying that Michigan absolutely will go get better players if they then go on and win this year, even just one game. But I'm, it stands to reason, right? I think it's a logical assumption to make that when you put yourself, when you elevate your program, you put yourself in a, you give yourself more exposure, et cetera, et cetera. I think it, it stands to reason that that follows. And I, as a college football observer, I think it'd be awesome if like Cincinnati beat Michigan for the national championship. I think that would be like an amazing moment. I'm just, I don't think that's the best thing for Ohio state. I think I, I would argue that, well, I think there's another question that addresses is maybe how I'm thinking about this.
2: All right. We have a couple more Michigan things, by the way, on the most recent college football survivor show that I I host with uh, Shahan J. Haraja, we broke down the Georgia Michigan game that came out on Wednesday, this Wednesday. And we broke that down uh, in a big way. We had done Cincinnati, Alabama last week. And when I came away from the Cincinnati, Alabama breakdown, I came away thinking, you know what? There are some things that Cincinnati can do here. There are some matchups that Cincinnati has a clear edge. I think And if Bryce Young is Bryce Young, that and Will Anderson is Will Anderson, that might be it for Cincinnati. But if since if Alabama doesn't play its a game, I actually think Cincinnati has a chance. And I initially thought Michigan had a chance. And the more I dug into Georgia versus Michigan, I came to the conclusion that they're the exact same team and Georgia has better players. And I think it's a really tough ask for Michigan. So I did not feel good about Michigan's chances the more I dove into that game. So. If that was too much optimistic Michigan talk for a a, a Buckeye Talk audience that is like, what are you doing? It's like, I think they're going to lose. So Jim Harbaugh question from the 517. Do you guys think Jim Harbaugh would have been fired had he played Ohio State last year and presumably gotten beaten fairly badly like many people predicted? So I think there's two parts to this question, the way you have to analyze it. One is it's a COVID year. The game does not get canceled and Ohio State beats Michigan. The other, Stephen, is COVID never happens. It's a normal college football year, and Ohio State beats Michigan the way Ohio State had been beating Michigan. In either of those two scenarios, could you have imagined a world where that would have spelled the end of Jim Harbaugh?
0: I think in both of those scenarios, Harbaugh gets fired. Um, I think not having to play Ohio State is why it was only a pay cut and kind of a, Change in expectation a little bit there, because to the point of Ryan Day allegedly saying on a Zoom call, we're going to hang 100 on you. He was not talking about this season. He was talking about the 2020 season when, as we saw, that wasn't a crazy concept. One team has Justin Fields, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave and the other team didn't have anything because Hayden Hutchinson didn't even play. So I do think there is a, a significant chance that if he goes in there and uh, doesn't hang a hundred, but it's 60 to 21 again, like something like that, then there's a chance he gets fired because now you're talking about a world where Ryan Day is 2-0 and against Michigan and both of them have been embarrassing blowouts. And then we're walking into this game and you don't have that caveat of nobody on Ohio State's side outside of maybe two or three people have had prominent roles. The majority of the guys now have at least seen real action in that game. And so they're not, there's no shock value in getting on that field for the first time, even if it is a road game in the snow.
2: Nathan, I split the scenarios the way I did because my answers are different based on the two scenarios. I'll just say mine. I think the way it turned out, again, Shahan and I on our Apple Podcast exclusive Survivor Show, you pay two ninety nine dollars a month to get four Tuesday episodes of the Survivor Show. Go to College Football Survivor Show on Apple Podcast. You'll figure it out. We did uh, all the coaching hires. We did that this Tuesday. All the coaching hires, best hires, and that kind of thing. In the Power Five, there are, there are 14 new head coaches that have been hired already this offseason, 14 of the 65. Last year, there were eight. And I just think the COVID year, everybody chilled out a little bit. Guys on the edge people lean towards stay because was that for real so i don't think not playing the ohio state game last year is save jim harbaugh i just think they weren't going to do it in a covid year because they had a wacky year and that was it i do think if it had been a normal michigan year and they had not been very good and gotten blown out by ohio state then it might have been it but i just don't think they would have made a covid change no matter what that's why i split it that way where are you nathan
1: Yeah, I I don't know about the the second scenario. I do know in the first scenario, they already had reason to fire Jim Harbaugh. We all many Mm -hmm. of us thought it was going to happen. Yeah. So I don't think that the outcome of the Ohio State game was going to change that. And especially if you look at the rest of their schedule, like they had three their last three games were canceled because of COVID. So what if they had? Yes, maybe they got pummeled by Ohio State. What if they had beaten Maryland and Iowa? And it actually had been a more positive finish to the end of the year than what they got otherwise. I, we don't know. As long as we're speculating on things, you have to speculate on that, too, and take it in the full context. So I don't think the Ohio State game last year is what Jeremy Harbaugh's job hinged on. Because with, with, with Ohio State going on to the national championship, if you're assessing that season, you're probably, if you're Ward Manual, assuming that Ohio State wins that game in Columbus against Michigan, against that Michigan team. You probably just assume that, right? So I don't, I don't really think that that game was the one that would have shoved him out. The second scenario is a little bit more intriguing, and I think you might be right that if it was a normal season that uh, people, there weren't like some built-in excuses, valid excuses in many ways, that that might have been when they decided to pull the trigger.
2: You, we might look back. I mean, I, I, at this point, we've been speculating. Everybody's been like waiting for Jim Harbaugh to leave forever. This part, this kind of makes me think now maybe like this is it. Maybe he coaches Michigan for another 20 years. And everybody knows there was that time in the late 60s with Woody Hayes where like Woody Hayes was on a knife's edge a little bit. Four and five in 1966, six and three in 1967. But by 1967, the super softs were in there as freshmen and like, you know, hanging with the varsity and practice and stuff. And then here comes 68 and it sort of saves Woody. But 66, that's like a that's a low point. That there's other coaches like that when they're when team when programs do have some patience, maybe because a coach has some capital build up and it's like, all right, well, this isn't great, but we believe in you. We'll hang on a little bit longer. There are moments that change everything. And if at the end of Jim Harbaugh's career, he's been at Michigan for 25 years, I do think there will be a thing like COVID saved Jim Harbaugh because it was all going bad. They had a weird year in the midst of everything. And like, not that not playing Ohio state in the COVID year, saved Jim Harbaugh, but like they bottomed out, it forced change, but it didn't mean they fired him and they ended up finding themselves as a result. That's if it all works out, if it's not a blip, right. If, If they are actually like a really good program now. So it's an interesting thing to think about. Let's do a Desmond Howard thing. Nathan, this is your expertise from the seven, three, four is Desmond Howard, the new number one enemy at Ohio state. So he actually was number one already. So we had already determined that he was number one. Like he had already beaten Bo and beaten Charles Woodson in our survey for our Mount Rushmore of Michigan villains. So um, there Jim Harbaugh was fifth on our list then. And I think if we did it now, Jim Harbaugh would be, in the top four somehow he he would edge out Tim patuka and or charles woodson and he'd be up there with desmond and Bo. but let me couple it with this question for the 937 how do you think the bravado coming from the michigan camp after winning the game will impact the game moving forward with uh, will gaddis and harbaugh's comments uh, bite them in the butt or is this a sign that michigan is here to stay so there's there's a, a multitude of things I want to cover. One is what Jim Harbaugh said about Ryan Day and being on third base right after the game. One is what Josh Gaddis, the offensive coordinator, said later about Michigan being tougher than Ohio State. And one is what happened at the Heisman ceremony with Desmond Howard and Aiden Hutchinson talking about beating Ohio State with C.J. Stroud sitting right there. Let's deal with Desmond Howard first. Is he locked in number one even stronger? Nathan, do, do you think
1: the people that already didn't like Desmond Howard, do they dislike him even more now? you almost have to like retire his number. I think at this point, uh, and here's the thing, like I'm, I am a sarcastic jerk. I don't think it comes across that much on this podcast. I, I think I hold myself back, but like, I well, love it's
2: mo- a lot of it's because of in comparison to me. Cause
1: I'm maybe, the, maybe. the biggest, maybe you're around, just more yeah. comfortable in your sarcastic jerk skin um, on, what on kind of in this, in this venue than I am. But I, I like, I love like, Burns, I love people like with snappy comebacks and there are few reporters alive who have less respect for the Heisman Trophy and everything around it than I do. Now, having said both of those things, like my jaw dropped when he said that at like, I thought it was the worst timing possible, like to, to come off the top rope like that. Um, when, and CJ Stroud gets to say nothing about that, like he just has to stand there and take it because I thought what Hutchinson said was nothing. All Hutchinson said was, Oh, it was like a big deal that we beat Ohio state. And he like, looks over and points. He's like, Oh, Hey, yeah, that was you. Right. And then everybody just kind of has this nervous chuckle. That's where it should have ended. There was nothing wrong with any of that. Why is Desmond Howard then coming in? Like, Oh, uh, how about your terrible offensive line? Like, I just thought that was, it was really poor timing. I thought, and I thought it was um just not the moment for that it could be that's something that every fan every michigan fan should be thinking and saying out loud and i think in in your party uh, not people don't watch people don't get have parties to watch the heisman but like you're hanging out with buddies or whatever you're at a bar you hear that you're like oh hey he's that that wishes offensive line had blocked him like that haha ha. that that's a good burn desmond howard is not the guy who should be saying that
0: oh am i alone in this quarter i thought it was perfect I mean, you know, you, you know in sports when you do something well, and a co- have you, has a coach ever yelled at you about celebrating and say, like, when you do something good, act like you've been there before? Yeah, but Desmond well, Howard's not a Michigan fan anymore? No, but he's a Michigan alum who has also beaten Ohio State.
1: Yeah, but that's why but, – but he has to know what his place is. That's not his place to say that and embody that at that moment.
0: I think that entire Michigan program – former players, current players, future players, fans right now are just kind of going overboard with how much trash talk they're doing because they haven't beaten this team in a decade. And it's that's just what it is.
1: And- but all those people get to do the trash talk. Desmond Howard doesn't. In that moment, in his job, he doesn't get to do that trash talk. Every All this other trash talk, including Josh Gaddis, 1,000%. Steel Chambers said it best. It's like, what am I supposed to do? They kicked our butt. Like, these guys get to talk right now. But Desmond Howard doesn't. That's not his job. That's not it's who not, he is anymore. But,
0: but we've seen other now sports analysts or the non announcers, whatever you want to call former players who get into this role, who played at certain schools, do the exact same. Now, maybe not on that stage, the Heisman stage. Yeah, give me the but example.
1: That's Give me the example.
0: Curb Hershey has had his moments where he's talked trash in the Ohio State Michigan rivalry or national television while he was doing his job. And there was like a video. There was like a video flowed throughout Twitter of him doing it. You
1: no, know, that was that was out of line, too. Like why it is. I don't think him has Desmond Howard doing it excuses any other example. I'm not saying
0: it an excusing it. I'm just saying it's not that shocking that a former player. No, I'm not. I'm saying it's not that shocking that a former player is you using said it was perfect. It, I mean, it was. It was a perfect burn. It's not that shocking that a for, that a former you're, player you're who you're is now a thing. sports. It is not shocking that a former player who is now an announcer is using his platform to root for the school he used to play for. Herbie really plenty of times. I want to know the did that. example
2: Herbie really did it like in the midst of like calling a game, like ripped Michigan while he was being mm, an that. announcer. Yeah. Get, get the actual, get the actual quote. I mean, I do, I can imagine, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine other people doing it. I, I, I don't know. Like if, if a Georgia guy was winning the Heisman, would David Pollock have done it? Like maybe, you know, if, if a, if a Miami guy was winning the Heisman and Michael Irvin was up there, would he have done it? Like maybe, I mean, you know, I, I do the thing that I think is right is the context, for good and for bad. The Heisman is like a hoity-toity, white gloves, uh, black black tie affair of college football, and it's not necessarily the moment where you do the thing that you would do on a Saturday when everyone has yep. their face painted and is drinking a beer.
0: I just found that he did it last year when he suggested that Jim Harbaugh in Michigan waved the white flag when they were going through oh, COVID yeah. issues, so the game had to get canceled.
1: And I wrote a column about how out of line Herb Street was. It's all bad. They're both bad. They're equally stupid. Stupid things to say at the wrong time.
0: But it happens a
1: lot. Right, I do. but That doesn't make it perfect. You said it was perfect. It's perfectly... It's, it's the opposite of perfect. I didn't like it at
2: the Heisman. I think the Heisman's different. Again, if you... Again, for good and bad. But like I just thought, I thought it was... You gotta read um, the room. I thought it was a little... It's not fair... I don't think it's like CJ Stroud is there to celebrate his performance that year as one of the four greatest players in college football. And like to do that to him, I, I thought was odd because it, it ends up being directed at one person and it's an adult doing it to a young man. Like an adult who is supposed to be doing a job, as you said, Nathan, that is sort of like, like it's not a theoretical Neutral. burn. Like even if, if Kirk Herbstreit's he like saying it, him. like saying it to the world, like Kirk Herbstreit saying it on a broadcast to the world. And Desmond Howard's like saying it like six feet away from CJ Stroud, I thought was a little odd. But I do think it will get lumped in. Do you think they're extra mad, Stephen? Like, what do you think Ohio State, the Gaddis, the Howard, the Harbaugh, what effect will that have on how, how Ohio State thinks about and prepares for the Michigan game next year? Is there going to be an actual, tangible, sort of on field effect from Michigan's talk.
0: Yeah. If Ohio State comes out and handles its business, I'm pretty sure Ryan Day will say his slick slime remarks on the side. You'll probably see, you know, play if we're we're on the field at the time, you'll hear players talking about it. They won't say they won't address it directly in a press conference, but they'll have their slick slide remarks on social media. And if you hear them talking on the field and Ryan Day will probably say something slick because that's just how this goes. It's they're probably ticked off and that's fair. To that point, Nathan and Doug, I'll agree. Like if you're putting it all on CJ and he shouldn't have done that. That's fair. I just don't like the out, the way the outrage has been made, it seem like this is the first time that's happened and Desmond Howard's like on this mountain alone. When throughout history we've seen this from former players turned sports analysts that this happens. But fair point. He shouldn't have just that shouldn't have been all on CJ. Fair point. But yes, they're gonna internalize all of this. And it's all gonna come, it's either gonna make them better, and it's gonna lead to you know Michigan's, you know doomsday next year or Michigan's going to flip this rivalry. We're going to, you know, it's going to be a more even, even rivalry. That's what's going to happen here.
1: But again, the Howard thing goes off on its own shelf. Like that's a separate, I don't think we should lump it in with these other things and all these other things. There've been varying degrees of like outrage out there from Ohio state people, um, even including some pro Ohio state media about the Gata statement, or I think the way that the Harbaugh th- third base thing was spun way out of context by people who are trying too hard. Like all Especially of those things, no, thought no, I, did, I disagree fair. with that. I disagree with that. What do you mean by that? That that this that they got turned into somehow. He's talking specifically about this football thing, the relative football standings, and it got spun into some kind of Ryan Day's life circumstances.
2: No, no, no. But that's entire, I think that's entirely fair because he doesn't get to. De- he doesn't get to define the context of that because he didn't say he inherited a winning program, right? Which is true. But that's everyone knew that's what he was talking about. But. But I thought it's entirely fair because but that's not what that's not how he said it, because the third base thing implies a silver spoon kind of thing that you wake In up on third base. terms. Oh, I'm so I'm surprised you view it this way. No, I think it's entirely fair to add context to that situation. Ryan Day clearly inherited a winning program and Jim Harbaugh inherited a losing program. That's an entirely fair thing to say. Yeah. But I thought the way he said that you opened the door for the other stuff. And it is true that your dad was an assistant at Michigan and Ryan Day's dad died when he was nine. Like, that's a fact. I think it's entirely fair to bring that up if Jim Harbaugh is going to go there.
1: I, I think that's entirely I, fair. I think it's trying too hard. Yeah, no. The, it was completely, it was total. it was obviously only in football. Every other question, every other word spoken in that press conference was only in football relative to that actual football game. That's all he was talking about.
2: Yeah, okay. No, I, I actually disagree with that, like, really, really strongly because there is an implication with that phrase. That that when you say it that way, um, and you are in that situation, that again, Ryan Day and Jim Harbaugh have earned their way in their own ways to to be where they are right now. Just because Jim Harbaugh's dad was an assistant for Bo Schembechler doesn't mean he was guaranteed to be the head coach at Michigan one day. But I thought the way it was said, that kind of thing starts to get a little personal because that's not program-related, and it's not uh, – um, I think if he had
1: said it in a vacuum, that would be true. He didn't. He said it in the context of, again, every other word that was said in the whole time he was sitting there was about football and specifically about the Ohio State-Michigan football rivalry. I think the context was there that defined what he said.
2: Yeah. No, I could not disagree more with that, but we'll move on. Uh, Elias Ricks is something that a lot of people are talking about, especially since Elias Ricks just – decided to go to Bama. So there's this idea out there that Ohio State like could have had him if they wanted him because he was interested in Ohio State as a recruit. He's friends with C.J. Stroud. And this report comes out that like Ohio State sort of backed off Elias Ricks, who's one of the best defensive backs in the country, is transferring from LSU. And they sort of pulled themselves out of the running. Um, from the seven four zero. after seeing this recruiting class was a decision to pass on Ricks, a bad one. Uh, from the 225, I still think we should have taken Elias Ricks. Saban wasn't worried about other players leaving if Ricks came in. The result is Ricks to Bama. Why doesn't Ryan Day have the same mindset? Thoughts from the 330, did the Buckeyes outsmart themselves by not going after Elias Ricks? And one more from the 419 it seems we need to add at least one cornerback via the portal. Why was Ricks not pursued and who else might be available? That's from Keith. Was it I don't know, Stephen. like, should they, if they could have gotten him, and we're not saying for sure they could have gotten him, but if they could have gotten Elias Ricks, should Ohio State have taken him?
0: This is such a hindsight question. Oh, no, no,
2: no, no, no. Why is it a hindsight question? It's a forward thinking question. He's a five-star recruit. Transferring who's sitting right there. So, like the hindsight of like, hey, Terrence Brooks decommitted. I don't. I don't think that. No, no, no,
0: no, no, no. no. That's not what I mean. It has nothing. First of all, Terrence Brooks doesn't even matter in this conversation because because you're talking about a one year rental, not a three year thing here. So, what's the hindsight? It's they believe. And Denzel Burke, Ja'Kalen Johnson, and Jordan Hancock. And if those three get on the field in 12 months from now, they're all awesome. They're not going to get Elias Ricks doesn't matter anymore. But because you don't know yet about Ja'Kalen Johnson and Jordan Hancock, even though they are top 100 recruits and Elias Ricks is such a sure thing, it's very easy right now to sit here and just be like, oh, you should have just added Elias Ricks. Which yeah, they probably should have just went and got the five star who was a freshman All American. Is probably going to be a top ten pick, but like it's, it's easy to say that now when you don't know what what's going on with Jalen well, Johnson, and Jordan Hancock. Well, that's, so that's what I, I mean. That's,
2: that's life. That's like you don't know what's going to happen in the future. So the question is, we of course we don't know that. We don't know that. Nobody knows that. Should they have gotten last Ricks? Yes or no? Like that's like that's all it is. If the if the belief is we have enough of a strong belief that those guys are going to be great. And we don't want to risk losing them long term. We don't know for sure. Of course you don't know for sure. But, but Steven, would you say they if they could have gotten him, should they have taken him? Yes or no? Like as we sit right here today, because he just decided he's going to Bama. And I don't know Bama's cornerback room. I don't know if they're desperate there, if they have a bunch of guys there. The pauses yes. don't play great on the pod. Yes, I'll just say, I if don't. you guys want to sing while you're thinking or something, like the the empty silence, I always end up cutting those down.
0: Okay, yeah, they probably should have gotten.
2: Nathan, should they have taken him?
0: Yes.
1: Yeah, there's no reason to think. I mean, we do know what Jordan Hancock and Ja'Kalen Johnson are right now. I mean, Ja'Kalen Johnson didn't even, wasn't even active the last two-thirds of the season. We don't know what his health situation is going to be next year. We know that Cam Brown hasn't been healthy the last two years. He's been pretty good when he's played, but hasn't been healthy quite a bit over the last two years. And he said this year that the Achilles was never really a problem for him. So it was a completely separate thing, which makes, again, fair or not, but makes you wonder whether another completely separate thing will always kind of keep cropping up with him and uh elias rick and jordan hancock is apparently coming along late this year and showing some things but hasn't been able to get on the field and elias ricks is better than denzel burke he just is so yes they should have taken elias ricks if they could have got him
2: so here's the thing i do think that matters in the way that ryan day has talked about it i think you want to use the portal the way ohio state thinks about it and i respect this It, it might be naive and maybe it'll be shown to be that way. And if everybody is just going to build their team in the portal and every year it's a new team and there's no development is secondary. It's just free agency. Get the best players play for this year. Worry about next year, next year, because if some of your guys transfer, because you got another, because you've got a portal guy, then just get a different portal guy next year. Like just, just portal, portal, portal. Maybe that's the way, but what's not what Ryan Day said. When we talked to him last, he said, we want to build the team. We want to develop guys. And then we want to be strategic. With our portal guys, we don't want to go like that. As that is our primary way. Is there a hole at cornerback right now? Like, I don't, I don't think there's necessarily a hole at corner the way that you would have seen a hole at quarterback when you got Justin Fields, the hole in the offensive line when you got Jonah Jackson, the hole in the running back room when you got Trey Sermon. That there were recruiting misses sort of behind that. There might be recruiting misses in the defensive backfield, like right now. But Elias Ricks isn't going to solve those problems because he's not going to be here in 2023 anyway. Is there a hole for next year, especially that Cam Brown came back? No. If you're top four, Burke, Brown, Hancock, and Johnson, I think you're pretty good. So even if you might be a little better or even somewhat substantially better, if you don't believe that you're actually filling a gap Maybe you'd believe in your guys and maybe there's like a long-term benefit, even if an opponent completes, even if Notre Dame completes a few more passes next year than they would have if Elias Ricks was on the field. This is, I'm showing something to my guys, not just specifically to Jordan Hancock and Jekyll Johnson, but I'm showing it to every recruit who might think about coming here. I'm showing it to every young guy on this roster we're not going to bring in somebody to take your job if you are on your timetable and you have shown that we should still believe in you. If something went wrong, okay, then we'll portal adjust. But I don't know that anything, when you look at the, at the cornerback room for next year, Steven. has anything gone wrong there based on what their plan would have been that they had these three young guys who are going to be in year two and Cam Brown's coming back and we're going to roll with those four corners.
0: No, it's, they're on schedule. As a matter of fact, I think Cam Brown helps that schedule a little bit just in case, you know, Jordan Hancock and J. Katelyn Johnson maybe have some early on, you know, growing pains. So I I think they're fine at the the position. Yeah, I'm I'm yes, you should have got him just based off of what the talent that he is, but in the name of like, do you Elias Ricks was like, because of the position he plays, he wasn't going to be the difference waker for why this team was a national championship caliber defense or not. That's not the spot where they need it. They need the Elias Ricks of linebackers or maybe even the Elias Ricks of safety. You know, that's where the the Elias Ricks you need that more than you do at cornerback right now based on the upside.
2: So I think the question that goes into it here, Nathan, is do you believe that getting guys in the portal, even if they are good players, can hurt your program. And if you believe there's there's any possibility of that being yes, I think that influences the Ricks decision. If you think, what are you talking about? No, get the best players, however you get them and roll, then you should have gotten Elias Ricks, no doubt about
1: it. No, I do believe, and 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 I, this is where I buy into some coach speak a little bit, especially when it comes to like character and fit and all those things. I'm not alleging that that was a problem with Elias Ricks, but in your general question, yes, I think that it, you can hurt your program by bringing in the wrong person. I think where I push back in a way that you guys maybe don't is this idea of Ohio state being on schedule right now with its cornerbacks. I don't think that cam Brown, who, who I was, I really gained a lot of respect for this past year, the way he pushed through clear injuries to be as effective as he was, but I don't, th- you think cam Brown starting next year is Ohio state by its own standard being on schedule at cornerback. I don't no, think, I think, I don't G- think that's true. I don't I think, think Jordan a Hancock starter.
0: Yeah, I think by I and think Jordan Elias Hancock Ricks
1: is, and But Elias, and Ricks is Johnson like, are. Elias Ricks would be arguably the best football player on this team next year.
2: That we actually have a question coming about that. So, I mean, it's one of those things Denzel Burke was really it, it, this is it's and I think you you disagree I think with us on this. There's like a recruiting view that I think you're you view a little differently. That I think sometimes it's hard for you to like believe in a guy until he's played. And so Jordan Hancock and Jekyll Johnson haven't played, but I would say on some level, if you believe in your development and they're top 100 national recruits and they look good in practice this year and Johnson was dealing with some injuries that you can be on schedule with them and make an assumption about them without them playing very much yet. And so that's where I think we would differ there.
1: I don't think we differ that much because this is going to play into another question that we have later as it relates to the transfer portal. We're not talking about just bringing in a cornerback. We're talking about bringing in the cornerback. You know right. what I'm saying? Like you're talking about bringing in Jeff Okuda ish talent here. That's what we're talking about.
2: And for one year. And if you just tell Jordan Hancock and Jekyll and Johnson fight your butt off to be the third corner, man,
1: it's all yeah. good. Which, we'll, which we'll if see. you guys are right, Jordan Hancock should be able to do that again, all due respect to cam Brown, but I think he could make that kind of jump.
2: Yeah. I, it is, I think that I think it's fair to assume that a highly rated recruit that you are seeing good things from, I think it's fair to assume that he's going to be a good player on the field next year. And I think they have that assumption, but I also think maybe we're getting like, should that player then have the assumption of it's my turn to start? You're, you're like, you're screwing me. If you bring somebody over me, I'm a second year player at Ohio state. who was a top 100 recruit. I deserve to start like maybe not. Right. That like, well, that's not necessarily how it works. Like ask Paris Johnson, like ask, like ask a, a lot of guys that sometimes stuff happens and we'll figure it out. But Jordan Hancock, we're getting Elias Ricks because we're getting Elias Ricks because he's great. Go fight Denzel Burke for the other spot. I don't know. I, uh, uh, I could see a world where not getting Elias Ricks comes back to bite them. I think it's hard to disagree with the idea that would they be a better football team on the field next year with Elias Ricks? It feels hard for the answer to that question to be no. It's like, like, yes, of course they would be. He's a very good player. Would they be a better program overall? I don't know. I guess I would take him. I don't think it is necessarily a devastating, it was a no-brainer, oh my God, what are they doing? I think I maybe understand the reasoning, but it still might have been the wrong decision
1: if you're really playing long-term chess, I guess if you're Ryan day and his staff, and I don't think that's a thing by the way, long-term chess, I just invented that. But if you're really playing this out
0: game for what it is, if you're
1: you're playing (laughs) the long game here um, and you think 2023 is really the year 2022, if you get there, it's great. But 2023, that's the year that we've really focused all this. And we're putting all this into then if getting Ricks for 2022, maybe makes your cornerback group, less good for 2023, then I guess that would maybe be the incentive to pass. And I guess that's what, at the end of the day, maybe that's what we're really talking about here. That they said, we'd rather have the growing pains of them in 2022, and maybe they're good enough by the end of the year, because then in 2023, they'll be great. Whereas if you bring in Ricks, the things get jumbled up enough. They don't get as many reps. They don't get as much actual game time, and then they're not as good for 2023. I would listen to that argument, but I think they're good enough to maybe win the whole thing in 2022, and they're much better. They have a much better chance of doing that with Elias Ricks.
2: I do wonder if coaches fear the portal treadmill, that it's, we brought in Elias Ricks, and so Jordan Hancock left, so the next year we brought in another portal guy, so Ryan Turner left, so the next we brought in another portal guy, and that maybe if you never get on the treadmill, you have a better chance of not falling off the treadmill. And that if one portal addition leads to one portal exit, maybe you're starting a loop that you're not going to be able to get out
0: of.
1: And when they bring in Trey Sermon, like maybe there were people reaching out to Steel Chambers and Marcus Crowley or something through back channels. But like if you bring in Elias Ricks, then how many of the top 20 programs in the country are somehow finding a way to get a hold of Jordan Hancock's high school coach or dad or whoever, you know what I'm saying? Like they're, they, they're coming out of
0: the woodwork. Especially since this isn't Bama. So you can't just stack like Bama just also went and got the running back um, from I think Georgia tech. It's like, I don't know if they needed to go get him Jameer Gibson. They didn't necessarily need to go get him at all, but it's Bama. So we're going to go get him and everybody else is just tough luck, but no one's stealing people from Bama. That makes me wonder about the portal treadmill. That makes me want to ask about that. Because like
2: the thing about Trey Sermon is Trey Sermon did not threaten Travion Henderson. And that was the whole point. So that was like there wasn't a Jordan Hancock on the roster sitting in the room when you brought in Trey Sermon. That's why you brought in Trey Sermon. So and if if Justin Fields, you know, made Emory Jones or Dwan Mathis leave like, well, you were fine with that because Justin Fields was so much better. But like, if you really, really like Jordan Hancock and Jalen Johnson, I think this is why you end up here. Let's do one more cornerback. question. I'll do two more cornerback questions. Cam Brown or Denzel Burke? Who's the number one corner next year and who is number three? I think it's, that's, uh, where's that from? That's from the 402. I think it's clearly Denzel Burke. And I do think that Cam Brown, it helps Ohio State to have him back. It adds some experience in the room. When healthy, he's been a good player but I don't think he's a guaranteed year-long starter. I think he's a little bit almost like Seven Banks was coming back this year that, like, good, good player, but honestly, maybe shouldn't your two starting corners be a step above the Cam Brown level, which is not a shot at Cam Brown, but, you know. So I, I'd say I'd say by, like, the middle of next year, my expectation right now would be that the starting cornerbacks are Denzel Burke and Jordan Hancock.
1: Yeah, I, I, my answer was Burke, number one. And then the answer to the second one depends on what date you're asking. I think Brown probably starts on opening day. If he's healthy, I think he's probably earned that. And he was effective when healthy. And um, again, I, I gained a lot of respect for the way he played through his his situations this year. Sometimes it seemed like he was like the toughest guy on the field at times for Ohio State. But I think if, 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 we're, if they're right about Hancock, then on schedule, he's probably starting by sometime next year.
0: I think Cam Brown is starting against Notre Dame. I think by Michigan State, it's going to be the three are going to be Jordan Hancock and Jekyll Johnson, two or three, whatever order you want to put them in.
2: And also, by the way, Jordan Hancock might go nuts in bowl practice, nuts in spring football, nuts in August that to too. take the job. I mean, like that's it's, it's not like it's like, oh, maybe Jordan Hancock won't be ready. It's like, well, he's got like 50 practices or whatever you know like he's he's got plenty of time just because he didn't play this year he's got plenty of time to get ready he's, there's nothing holding him back other than the fact that he wasn't here you know he's never had a spring football before we don't know we might be out there in march and be like oh look jordan hancock oh yeah okay well that's decided i mean that that's the kind of thing that happens that's always out there uh okay one more db question before we take a quick break from the three three six. Why is Ohio State no longer a top choice for the very best safety and cornerback recruits? Steven, do you agree with the premise of that question?
0: Um, kinda. I think they're an option. It's just when you're not sure if well, I'll let you finish the question, but uh they're they're still an option. They just might not be the top option, depending on how the next couple of weeks pan out. And is Kerry Combs the reason? Yes. It's like, I mean, when you're not sure if Kerry Combs is going to be here, especially since most of the top corners live in the SEC world, why would they come up here?
2: It really feels like like it's just Kerry Combs, right? That, That Kerry Combs developed this cornerback pipeline, and if he's not here, then that equation changes. I don't know, Nathan, that it's much more complicated than that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I pushed back a little bit just because, as we just talked about for the last like eight minutes, they got really good cornerbacks in the twenty twenty one class. So because that, right because well, but I'm saying, but he's still here right now. He's still here right now right. As, as the but time they we're did, doing this. They didn't and, lock in
2: the guys in in this class as much.
1: Well, and and again, this is a semantic thing, but Stephen kind of already said it. They were a top choice for those guys. True. They, they were in the, the top choice. Yes. Mm-hmm. And Ohio state, this was just a year and I'm not excusing it because I think it is going to hurt them. And I've said it many times, but this, sometimes you, when you get, when you're the second choice on like multiple guys, and we saw it with running back a couple years ago, when you're like the second or third choice, you, you're a finalist, you're right there, but you just don't win it. Then if it all happens in one class, it, it, it looks bad. So they're going to have to fix it, whether it's through the portal or really uh, nailing something in 2022.
2: All right, quick break. Couple Christmas questions, Christmas questions, Christmas questions, and some Julian Fleming stuff. Next on Buckeye Talk. Doug Nathan Stevens, speaking of Christmas, get your loved one or friend or enemy a Buckeye Talk tech subscription. And by the way, to everybody who ordered the book for Christmas, thank you. They're all in the mail. If you want to order a book now, you can go to my Twitter. You can find it. You can get it for post-Christmas. Maybe you got money. And you just sat I'll throw 25 bucks for an Ohio State book. But thanks to everybody who did order that. Um, definitely signed a few books. Merry Christmas to whoever it was going to. So if that's in your stocking, I hope you enjoy it. From the 321, what's the best Christmas present you ever received when you were a kid? Stephen, you have been a kid most recently, so we'll start with you. Nathan and I, when we give this answer, the answer will be in black and white. Yours is in color, so we can, you can,
0: it's more recent. Um, a PlayStation 2 is the best gift because it was the first gaming system I ever had. So, and I wasn't expecting to get it because my parents were very much against PlayStations and gaming systems when I was a kid up to a certain point. So I think it was, I think I was eight or nine PlayStation 2.
2: And then did you just like vanish all of Christmas Day and just play video games all day?
0: Yes. As a matter of fact, every Christmas after that, because I was expecting to get video games for Christmas, I would get up at like 4.30 in the morning. (laughs)
2: And just thank you. Thank you, Santa.
1: Here's here's me in front of the TV for nine hours.
2: Yep. Uh, Nathan, what's the best present you ever got?
1: I think I would imagine you can answer this. One of the more depressing things about being a parent is that your kids ask for all this stuff when they're little. And it's like the most important thing in the world to them. And then when they get to be our age and actually if you'd asked me this question 20 years ago. I probably would have said something similar. Like, I don't really remember a lot of what I got when I was a kid. Like you put in all this time and money and effort to get them these Christmas presents. And then they're just like, what? What? that was like two years ago. What are you talking about? There's one that I remember, though. I must have been about like seven or eight. I was big into G.I. Joe's and they had like the the plane for the G.I. Joe's. It was with that current like set it was the SR-71 Blackbird. It was like this long black plane. And that was like what I wanted for my G.I. Joe present. And my brother was four years younger than me, is four years younger than me. And he must have gone along with my dad for the Christmas shopping that year because um, to hide the presents, they had taken him to our grandparents' house, which was like five minutes away. So 10 minutes away, next town over. And my brother that year was sitting around eating dinner. And that night, he's like, uh, we got grandpa an SR-71 Blackbird for Christmas. And we were like, what? what's wrong with you like what why would you even say like it was just like so out of nowhere because he thought we were just taking it to give it to my grandpa and then when i opened it up on christmas morning my parents were like well he ruined it for you he told you we got it that i had that so that i don't know that one stands out in my mind all these years later i like the idea of your grandpa getting gi joe stuff yeah, right. for christmas <laughs> yeah if you knew my my grandfather too it would be especially funny
2: so i will say like with the kids stuff when ohio state Went to the Rose Bowl three years ago. My family went with me, and my daughter is a big sports fan, big NBA fan. And the uh, Lakers and Clippers were playing like right around like a couple days before the Rose Bowl, I think. And we I we got her tickets to the Lakers Clippers game at the Staples Center to go to. And the like LeBron like pulled his groin like five days before the game. So by the time she got the president, it was like, Hey, you're gonna get to go see Contavious Caldwell Pope. <laughs> Merry Christmas. So, and that was before, I was the year before the Clippers got Kawhi and Paul George. So it was like, she got Lakers Clippers tickets and she went and watched, you know, Kyle Kuzma versus Patrick Beverly. And it was like, well, it was still moderately cool. My answer is I got a Nerf basketball hoop when I was in elementary school and we hung it on in our little hallway at the front of the house on the closet door. And I dunked on a Nerf basketball hoop. For like three years, it probably cost $4. It was the best person I ever got. I got so much use out of it. I shot fadeaway jumpers. I shot twisting layups. I did reverse dunks with a Nerf basketball, the size of a, like a softball and a little like breakaway plastic hoop. That again, it's one of those things that drives your parents nuts. The money that you spend at Crispin, it's like that $4 thing that I used 4,000 times. Was my favorite present. I would go. I would go buy my. I might get put in my own stocking. uh Everybody one on
0: one Nerf basketball full court.
2: Uh, make it take it. So yeah, okay. I couldn't. I yeah yeah. So no, we like, play
0: in college. We had those. Um, and how our rooms were set up when we moved into an apartment. We literally just had one on each hoop, and we would just dunk on each other the whole time. Nice, nice. Yeah, we no, didn't that do a lot. A- of, there wasn't a lot of productivity happening in college on those days
2: no no i and i transversely like i was playing a lot of video games in college and, and yeah. failing greek literature as a result <laughs> uh holiday travel this is from justin from the 419 what's your worst holiday travel story nathan you got a terrible this is like a plane's trade was, with automobiles kind of question
1: you know i was trying to think about that there were a couple of times in recent years where i hurried home when i was covering basketball um and they had those holiday tournaments but like and so i had to like get up. I don't know. But like I was coming back from like Hawaii or Cancun or the Bahamas or something like that. So I'm not going to complain about that. Yeah. um, No matter what it took to get back. I'm worried that it could be this year. I'm having to leave on uh, Christmas afternoon in the middle of a pandemic and being gone for like eight days or whatever it's going to be. This might this might this could be it. I'm bracing for this maybe being the the installment.
2: Steven, any terrible holiday travel stories?
0: No, because the only time like I mean, in 2019, That was that was probably the closest to holiday travel I've had. And it was pretty smooth. So, no. All
2: right. So I guess I have three. And it made me sad the other day when I was starting to tell a thing and Nathan was like, oh, is this the Finland Pizza Hut story? And I was like, there I am. I'm the guy who repeats stories.
1: Well, but that was that was you sort of introducing a new character. or You were adding context to a character we already knew. It was like a flashback later in the series that explained something from before.
2: I try to be very cognizant of that because that to me is like the epitome of an old time sports writer is like, not this story again. Oh, my God. I've heard that a million times because I had that experience with somebody. So it is like my greatest fear. But I also do 10 podcasts a week and I do three different ones. And sometimes I forget which story I tell on which podcast. So I think I've told this first story before. I think I've told the second story before. And I also think I've told the the third story before. So I'll tell them very quickly. One is covering Ohio State basketball at Florida winter of 2006. I think the game was on December 23rd. It was like Joe Kim Noah and Al Horford. It was the same season that Ohio State, then at the end of that season, played Florida for the national title. That little gym in Gainesville, it felt like the Florida fans were going to consume Greg Oden. They were right on top of you. It was an awesome game to cover. Crazy awesome game. But I didn't want to pay for the hotel room because I was barely going to get any sleep. And my flight was like at five o'clock in the morning on Christmas Eve, the next day to fly to my parents' house. So I decided I would sleep in the parking lot of the hotel because I didn't want to pay for the room. And I woke up like five minutes before my flight was leaving, exploded in sweat, missed my flight, had to scramble all day. Don't sleep in your car in a hotel parking lot. Another one is. Back in the day, this is like back-to-back, I guess, Ohio State National Championship games in 2006 and 2007. 2006, back then, the National Championship game was at a bowl site a week later. So, like, they played the Fiesta Bowl, and then a week later, they played the National Championship game at the Fiesta Bowl. So, the Fiesta Bowl that year was Boise State, Oklahoma. And I, la- I got there to Arizona the day of that game, and I could have gone to the Fiesta Balls like, I'm not going to go to the game. So I was sitting in the hotel lobby, like in Arizona that night, and Boise State runs like the Statue of Liberty play to win it at the end. And it's like happening 10 miles away, and I'm sitting in the hotel lobby, and I was like, what am I doing? Why am I sitting here? Why didn't I go to that game? So then the next year in 2007, I said, I'm going to go. So I was flying, Ohio State's in the Sugar Bowl, playing the national championship game in Louisiana, but they're playing the regular Sugar Bowl. The Sugar Bowl is Hawaii, Georgia. And I'm like, I'm going to go. And I've told this story before. I show up at the airport. That is on New Year's Day. I was flying New Year's Day. And I got there and I was flying from Columbus to connect through Chicago and then fly to New Orleans. And my flight was like at 10 a.m. And the 9 a.m. flight, from Columbus to Chicago was there. And there was an Ohio State player who showed up at the airport, not hung over from New Year's Eve, but still drunk from New Year's Eve, still currently at the airport, not in his right mind. And so he was also on the 10 o'clock flight with me. But they called the nine o'clock flight and he like walked up and was like, I'm here for my flight. And they were like, fine, get on. And he got on the flight and I was like, nope, that's not my flight. I'll wait till 10 o'clock. So I fly on the 10 o'clock flight to Chicago. By the time I get there, there's a snowstorm in Chicago and I'm in the O'Hare all day. And like the last flight that made it out of Chicago to New Orleans, I would have made if I had taken the earlier flight, the drunk Ohio State player made that flight. I was a less competent traveler than an Ohio State player who was still not in his right mind on New Year's Day. So then I missed, I was going to go to that Sugar Bowl. I missed that Sugar Bowl, but Georgia beat Hawaii like 75 to two in that Sugar Bowl. But I remember I was sitting in the airport being, I'm an adult man. How am I this much dumber than a college kid who's still not thinking straight? So those are my three travel stories. And if you're a tech subscriber, maybe I'll tell you which player it was. It was fine. I mean, you're allowed to have a good time on New Year's Eve. I actually think he was of age. It's all good. He wasn't breaking any laws. And he got there before I did. got there 14 hours before I did. This is an actual football question from the 704. Should Jamison Williams having a huge year after struggling in his sophomore season, give Ohio state fans more optimism for Julian Fleming's junior season, assuming he sees healthy Nathan. Is there a Jamison Williams transitive property here or just in general? Should people be optimistic about Julian Fleming?
1: Uh, I don't know if I see a transitive property Again, like Jamison Williams had such a wide open opportunity at Alabama this year, and I don't know if I see the same wide open opportunity at Ohio State. Although there's no reason to think he—I mean, he could still be a starter. I'm not saying that um, he would have every opportunity to come in and and, and fight for that job. But you know what I mean? Like it feels like the Jamison Williams situation was. Sort of lightning in a bottle for him that he fell into just like this perfect situation. And I think Julian Fleming, again, health is going to be the big one. If he can stay healthy, then he should have the opportunity to contribute. It may not look like what Julian Fleming did or uh, what what uh, Jameson Williams
0: did, though. I think Julian Fleming can be every bit as good as Jamison Williams was this year, even if the numbers don't necessarily suggest that because Nathan is right. The opportunity is not quite the same. Jamison is uh, many times Alabama's only weapon, while Julian at best will be the third best weapon behind Jackson and Trey. And Trey. So, But the, the, uh, the idea of like, he's just as good as Jamison in whatever his impact is, that's out there. I mean, this is still a guy who was the top wide receiver in his class and one of the highest rated recruits they've ever brought in or where we can legitimately use the excuse to an extent of the reason he hasn't had an impact the last two years is because of COVID and because he's been hurt.
2: I really do think, and we talk about this a lot. I I think Julian Fleming might be on the Marshawn Mottomore plan. That's the Mm -hmm. comparison that that's like a top 50 national recruit who just sort of had two years blown up by injury. And it almost made you feel like, man, it's like, do we just give up on this guy? Like, I don't know. Like, what are we waiting for? And then it's like, Oh no, wait, no. He got healthy. And, no, oh, when he's healthy, he's awesome. I, I do think – I think in general it makes sense to have some optimism around Julian Fleming because it just feels like – I mean, we saw him in the Big Ten Championship game last year. We saw a little bit. It's like, okay, he's not as good as Chris Olave as a true freshman in that situation, right? So, like, that was true. But I, I just think we haven't even I – mean, Stephen, what have we seen? Thirty percent of what Julian Fleming might be like, we haven't seen anything of what he actually could be because he's had some things holding him back.
0: Yeah, his best play so far is that toe tap that didn't even count because the refs ruled it as out of bounds. Which is, I mean, that happens, but it's like uh, from what how these players talk about him, it's there's reason to believe that he could be in for a breakout season. And if it's even if they're not as good as you know Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith, the Jigma this year, they'll still be one of the best wide receiver cores in the country.
2: All right, let's talk about freshmen heading into next year. From the 419, which freshman this year do you think reaches the highest heights next year from the 419? Nathan, who is a leading candidate for you along those lines? And to me, it's okay if it's a guy who played last year, right? We can say Trevion Henderson. You can say Denzel Burke or Tyreek Williams. I don't think it has to be somebody who's done nothing. It's like, who's who's going to be an awesome year two player?
1: Well, I mean, under that, In that scenario, I think you would say Trayvon Henderson because he's just going to be the featured running back on this team. But uh, the guy that I picked was JT Tuumaloao. I feel like what he showed this year with such a limited runway to get into the season to have the impact he did, now obviously he didn't, you know, wasn't like all Big Ten caliber or anything, but under the circumstances, it's pretty impressive. And with a full offseason, um and, and, and that sort of preparation, along with the obvious just based skills that he has, makes it seem like he could be someone on a, a short path to something pretty special.
2: Can I say one of the reasons that Ohio State fans should be pretty excited about next year is that I feel like there's like 11 possible answers to this question, mm-hmm. that whether it's guys who have kind of done nothing so far or it's guys who have been kind of good or it's guys who have been really good and are only going to get better. Like this class, this, this 2021 class, Stephen. man, there are some dudes that feel like they right, might really pop next year.
0: Who's your guy? So I'm not including Quinn yours in this for a lot of different reasons. There are 13 top 100 recruits in that class. And like, to your point, we might see 10 of them have roles next year. Um, I'm going to go with Donovan Jackson just because I'm excited for guards to get a chance to play guard again. And I just think he just might bully everybody in the run game. And we might just, we might see a situation where there's whoever the center is, whether it's Luke Whipple or Harry Miller, we might see another center in you know, Donovan Jackson highway and Travion Henderson's just running through wide open holes for 12 weeks.
2: Yeah. No, I think those are two good picks. I think I'll take Emeka. like i I, if this if we're just on this plan of like hey like your two receivers go nuts and garrett wilson went nuts and jackson smith and jigba went nuts and just he goes nuts that like he he didn't really play that much this year and then next year he has 1200 receiving yards like i think i think i think that's there i think he's i think the way they used him in the return game and stuff it feels like they think he's a good football player Right. That I think that was something about Jackson Smith and Jigma. It's like Jackson Smith and Jigma, like he's a good receiver. He's a good football player. And this is not a shot at Julian, but I think Julian Fleming, just coming out of the offense that he came out of in high school, I think he had to get some of that football stuff in him, right? Because he Mm -hmm. just he played at a lower level. I mean, I think like a buka man just feels like, just give me a chance because like I know how this works. And I think he's gonna be a pretty advanced dude when he gets on the field next year. And also, like I, I think Jack Sawyer could be on that kind of plan too of like, it was like, okay, he's just, he's not quite as physical as JT. He's a little undersized compared to JT. We've talked about that all year. It's sort of like the the power end versus the finesse end, but the way this defense is going to work next year might have a position for him that really fits what Jack Sawyer likes to do. And then it's like, oh, there's 10 sack Jack Sawyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. That, that all makes sense. Not that he had a bad year. I mean, he and JT both did, I think, kind of laid the foundation. A lot of these guys, Trevion obviously is Trevion. Denzel Burke was awesome. But there are a lot of other guys who, in their roles, I thought laid foundations, Nathan, that, that you can see there's a lot of stuff to build on for some of these guys.
1: No, I, I think that's, that's very true. I would also say, should we talk more about JT, Tuum, maybe being maybe having the potential to play that jack spot? I know he's bigger. But he's also the guy with the athleticism to be – Let's not – Not today.
2: I'm just saying. Oh, no, no. Yeah, no, no. Oh, in general. Well, but the other thing is like you need – I think you need like a strong side end in that defense too, right? And so – But if um, Zach
1: Harrison comes back –
2: Well, that's an interesting interesting proposition. Yes. If Zach Harrison comes back and you're looking for that – I don't know that Zach – Maybe doesn't fit the Jack better than JT would, but, um, but let's not do anymore because we're okay, just cool. going to set. We don't actually know yeah. what we're talking about yet. And we're going to yep. talk to Jim Knowles in 10 days and we're yep. going to ask him 4,000 questions about this, but they're going to have some interesting options there because they have some smart athletic defensive ends who I think know how to play the game. Player development question from the two Oh three aside from CJ Stroud, which player needs to needs to take the next step in their development for Ohio state to get back to the playoff. So this is a little different than, you know, talented guys who might pop. It's like, where do they, where do they sort of need somebody to really come along? I might go to the tight end room and like somebody need to like really be, make sure that Cade Stover and, or G Scott probably. And, and the way we've always talked about them, one more of a pass catcher, one more of a blocker, but they just do, I think, even though they play three receivers all the time, at least one of those tight ends, you just, need to, you just need to rely on them. You just have to be able to rely on them to block and then occasionally be an option in the pass game, or I don't think this offense just will quite work exactly the way Ryan Day wants it to work, even though they chuck it around to the receivers all the time. Uh, Nathan, where's another position of development you think they need
1: somebody? Well, I'm. it's the counter to what you were saying about the optimism of all these young guys I mean you could point to like four or five different positions where they sort of semi desperately need a, a a pretty big jump from somebody tight end is one linebacker would be one um I would you know we already talked about Jordan Hancock or I guess Jerkylan Johnson somebody from that group like stepping up and really emerging as a second year player I think Court Williams if he were to like if if they go to this this if they fix this three safety look and you're keeping Shaw or I guess Proctor actually, Proctor, Hickman, Shaw, some combination of those guys behind us, Court Williams then emerge as more like what you really want out of the bullet. Um, I think there's, there's still a handful of things and, and spring's going to be pretty intriguing to see how some of that stuff shakes out.
0: Yeah. I I think Cody Simon needs to start looking like a top 100 recruit. Yeah, he was good second. On his, good yeah. He was he was second on his team in tackles, and his numbers are actually pretty good. But it doesn't feel like he had fifty four tackles last year, and you know it just doesn't feel like he it, he was fine for a second year player, first year starter. But you didn't feel it as much as I thought we would feel him this year. He it's number seventy five player, the fourth best linebacker in his class. It's, he needs to start looking like that next year because that solves a lot of issues.
2: Yeah, no, it's going to be there's it's gonna be a, a, a fun offseason because I think they have both at the same time. They sort of have the optimistic, man, there's some young guys who are ready to roll and not pessimistic, but questionable. Hey, they have some spots where they really need guys to come along because they got to get better at some spots. And I think we'll have a lot of fun this offseason talking about that. This one's a little more difficult from the 5-1-3. If there was to be a significant position switch, Cade Stover or Steel Chambers style. Again, Cade Stover from linebacker defensive end to the offensive side of the ball tight end steel chambers opposite from running back to linebacker who are the most logical candidates this was the one I try to send you guys the questions with like maybe an hour heads up this was one where I pointed out because I think it required a little bit of thought it's hard to pull this out of thin air and again these are the lives and careers of players they get one shot at this we do not want to be glib or trite about hey well I don't know what if you just switch positions there but you know, we can try to speculate. I'll, I in 2000, I think it was in 2011, I wrote a story with Zach Bourne about when he was a fullback about like, hey, man, like, wouldn't it be crazy? What if you played linebacker? What if you played both and were like a two-way player? And like I wrote this, talked to Zach about it, and wrote this whole story about, man, wouldn't it be interesting if Zach Bourne were a two-way player because the fullback was sort of diminishing. And then in 2012, when they had linebacker injuries and it was like, what are they going to do? And it was like, you would think, did I break the story of Zach Boren moving from fullback to linebacker and starting at linebacker full-time? I did not. I got burnt on that. Like, I got burnt on every other story. It's like, I, it's like, I thought of this a year ago. And then when it actually happened, I was completely unprepared. But we've seen it, right? I mean, Steel Chambers, Cade Stover, they've had a multitude, not a multitude, but then more than a few, Nathan, that this is not, even as we throw out speculation There are enough real life examples that there might be something to one of these that isn't maybe being talked about now, but I don't know, maybe could actually happen.
1: Yeah. And some of the ones that have happened in recent years, like the, um, the chambers is interesting because he really did seem to have an identity when he came here, like Stover, I don't know. Like, Stover was almost like, well, he's a really good football player, and this is where we think he would fit. And then they decided to move him around. Whereas with Steel Chambers, it was always just like, well, he's a running back, and then like the the position switch seemed more abrupt to me. So it's like, who do you who on this roster do you think fits kind of either of those descriptions? So I thought like the 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 former of those two, the guy who's most like that, I guess, other than Kate Stover, who's still on the roster, would be Cam Martinez, like somebody who was just like a good football player has a lot of skills but just where's the best place to put him and and do you consider like the way they use him now as a safety if you moved him to cornerback does that count as a position switch? are you talking about an offense to defense
2: no i would count i think that would count
1: yeah so that that was the one that kind of jumped on my mind and then the other one was if you is there somebody on this offensive line that would maybe move to defensive line so if you're looking at something that's like more radical like would they the thing that they flirted with with Enoch Vamahi a couple years ago, would they find a reason to do that more permanently? Because they feel like they're okay on the offensive line depth-wise, and they need him at tackle. That just seems a little bit far-fetched. They didn't go back to that at all this past year. I would be surprised if they did it, but that was like an example of something more like the Steel Chambers thing.
2: And Cade Snover like, got, a, Stover got a defensive snap late in the year, right? Didn't yeah. he at linebacker yeah. where they were desperate?
0: Yeah. I might push back on like the way you described those two things. I think Cade Stover was a linebacker. He just kept growing. And so then it, which can happen with linebackers. And so then they didn't know where to put him because he's he's not big enough to be a defensive lineman. But then, like, you can't just have that type of size just being a linebacker when he doesn't move as well as some of the other linebackers do. Um, While Steel Chambers, like, legitimately had linebacker offers from Power Five Schools. And like they gave him kind of the option of which one he wanted to play, which is why when this worked out so well, like so so many of of us were asking, hey, do you think you should have just been a linebacker to begin with? Um, So but I I agree. Uh, Cam Martinez came to mind just because like that's a guy who's pretty explosive with the ball in his hands and in a world where they didn't get four wide receivers. Would they just move him into the wide receiver room just as like to test it out, even if it was just in the spring of like, hey, let's see what you look like here. Or maybe we can just make you the returner because if Mecca is going to have a legitimate role here, we don't want him as our kick returner anymore because that's just, that's not worth it at this point. Um, So guys like that, but then more, I just think there's going to be some defensive ends who are finally going to move inside after spending two years learning some pass rushing moves like Jacoby Cowan.
2: So I started by looking, trying to look at Where do they, what are the positions where they need guys? And then where are the positions where it feels like they have pretty good depth? So one of the positions, this is like the opposite of what sort of where you were saying, Nathan, is I think they need tackles on offensively. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to think who could be an offensive tackle because chase Ferris, many moons ago, was a guy who played both sides of the line. He played offense and defense And they finally figured it out. And he started at right tackle as a senior and was like a one-year starter and was like held his own for sure. So I was going through the guys on the defensive line, seeing who might be tall. So like Cromante Hamilton, he's only 6'2". Jade McKenzie is only 6'2". And then I found a defensive lineman who hasn't played very much, who's 6'6". And I thought, hmm, I think he's listed at 6'6", 270". And I thought, okay, you take a 6'6 guy, can you get in the 300, get in the 305? And could you take the 2022 football season and make it a transitional year? And from January 2022 to August 2023, could you have a 20-month transformation that by 2023 he would be ready to fight to be a starting tackle on the offense for you? If you're thin there and it's Noah Potter. I don't know if he played offensive line. He, oh. he wasn't a defensive end when he got here, they moved him to tackle. He had eye surgery this year and missed a lot of time. If there's a Potter family member listening to this, they might be saying, what are you doing? Why are you doing this to him? Mm-hmm. He just has not really found a role yet. And certainly Missing this year with that eye issue was a big deal. And I hope his recovery is going well. But I'm just trying to find a guy who kind of hasn't broken through at the spot he is and a spot where they need guys. And that's what I came up with. And then the other one was if they missed a couple corners in this class, that's a big old deep receiver room. Does anybody want to play corner in the receiver room? And so, Jaden Ballard want to play corner? I don't know. I don't tall. know. Like how tall is he? Like uh, see so 6'2" 195.
0: But he's like long like he's he's not really built like a corner, he's built like a wide out. Okay.
2: So I'm just trying to like I'm trying to do it with a reason, right? Find a surplus and put it in an area where there's not as much surplus, so I try. I think trying to trying to find offensive tackles for 2023 was sort of my priority, and then maybe trying to find cornerback depth. And I do just think in that receiver room, as I keep bringing guys in and bringing guys in, you know, if you have a four man class and three man class, like just like not everybody's going to make it, right? Not everybody's going to make the be a starting receiver in year three at Ohio State. And so, if you're not one of those, then what? Then, frankly, it's probably either a position switch or a transfer and not that Jaden Ballard can't be a starting receiver here. Maybe he will be, but we're just playing the game. Anybody else that like uh, we needed to mention here. Anybody else that popped to mind? What do you think? No, no Potter offensive tackle. What do you think Nathan? Did I just change lives there?
1: Uh, maybe I think what, what, what's tricky for him, I guess it would depend because he's a redshirt. shirt. was a redshirt sophomore this year. So I, but I guess you do still have the COVID year in reserve to use, but what, because but, in your, in your scenario, Next year's kind of a wash, and then you've got like one year. So, unless they, unless the COVID year gave him then two more years to play. But you're right that they, they are thin enough at tackle that what I was suggesting probably is not the smart move long term for both them or Enoch Vamahi. And, and I, I didn't just, really think it was probably going to happen anyway.
0: I would just say good luck convincing him to do it more than anything no, else. That's no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that guy, I, I mean, as a, he chose, I mean, he chose the number 97 before anybody even asked him what his number was. And like, you try to like own it. And I understand say he hasn't worked out that way, but that personality, I mean, that's a, Michael Parker, uh, Michael, Michael Parker's little brother who was a transfer yeah. from Ohio State's basketball team. So like, I don't know if you could, I just don't know if he would be the one to go for it, even if you did plan it out that way.
2: No, and I don't, don't want to goof around with people's lives, but I'm yeah. just trying to get guys on the field, right? If you haven't been on the field yet. And again, certainly this, I think just ruined this whole year. Mm -hmm. And then he had a COVID year and like, whatever. But now Jack Sawyer and JT are here and Kenyatta Jackson's coming. And, you know, it's just how it works. So, all right. Justin Fields question. From the 419. In hindsight, did Justin Fields make a mistake by leaving for the NFL? Surely he'd go number one overall this year and maybe win the Heisman. So I do think I maybe agree with the last two parts of that question. And I, I, like the first one is I do think he would be the first pick in this draft because there's not an obvious quarterback. You look at mock drafts right now and Kenny Pickett is the first quarterback off the board. Matt Corral and Sam Howell are in there. You know, Malik Willis is a guy who's been mentioned there. Carson Strong from Nevada. But like Justin would be head and shoulders above them. And do you won the Heisman, you know, like the first year starter behind him finished fourth. <laughs> So, in a year where that guy would have come back and been in complete control of the offense, I'll buy it. I'll buy both those things. But, Stephen, even if both those things are true, should he have come back? I mean, that's he has a bunch of no. millions of dollars in his pocket and a bunch of endorsements, and he seems like he's living the life in Chicago. So, it's hard to argue that.
0: Yeah, no. He just went to an incompetent uh, organization who doesn't have an offensive line, so he's running for his life on every other snap. It's, but that's part of being a top pick, as especially as a quarterback. You're when you're a top pick, you're not going to a good team, so you're going to a team where it's just not going to look good. Trevor Lawrence is going through the same thing, and probably to the tenth degree because his co- head coach just got fired. So that's just part of it. It's they should have come back. It's just you know come back in four or five years once they finally built a team around their franchise quarterback, and let's see what happens. But no, he shouldn't have come back. But yeah, 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 Bryce Young would be the number one pick in this draft. And C.J. Stroud probably, too, because this quarterback draft sucks.
1: Yeah, I think he probably would have won the Heisman. I think he probably would be the number one overall pick. And no, I don't think he should have come back.
2: So the obvious. So so I'll say this. The, the obvious thing is, no, he shouldn't have come back. Right. So and that's we always say if you're a first round pick, go. It's it's hard to argue that decision but he got a guaranteed contract according to uh spot track of 18.8 million as the number 11 pick in the draft and the 2022 number one overall pick is projected to get a contract of 41 million. So that's a lot of difference. That's a $23 million difference over. But you're also,
0: you're also pushing back a year where he can get to that second contract where the big money comes in. So it's like, you know, especially quarterbacks like franchise quarterbacks, you that's generational wealth. So
2: I agree. It's not an argument. So here's the thing. I would say when he left, he, maybe didn't think he was going to go 11th. Maybe he thought he was going to go second. Jets, Yeah. So if he knew he was going to go 11th and if he knew he was going to go to the bears, and if he knew he was going to go to an organization where his head coach was going to get fired. And if he knew all that stuff, would it have, would it, would you ponder it? Nathan, this is, if you knew the scenarios right now, this is your bears deal. You're the 11th pick and you go to the bears or come back and maybe Heisman, maybe number one. The number one is the more important thing. Does yeah. it does it make him consider it?
1: What's tricky about this is the thing that allowed him to even get the eighteen million dollars was the Bears trading up to get him, which is why he's in a worse position in the future because the Bears don't have a first drop pick next uh, year to go get him help to be better. It's a lot of like conflicting factors here. Um I don't know. I, I think I think he was ready to go be an NFL quarterback. I think that's a big part of it, too. How so? Because he went. I mean, he, all those things were true. You could have made all Ooh. these arguments to him. You could have made all these arguments to him about you know, if you come back next year, you're probably um, in position to be the number one overall pick the year after, and you're probably the Heisman front runner and in a great position to win it. And you got Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and look what you could do here. You could put up unbelievable numbers again next year and maybe even better. And it could be something super special. And he's still left.
2: So I just wonder about, I mean, his career was wrinkle QB at Georgia. First year starter Ohio state who showed up in January and had to get ready to start COVID year, screwed up COVID year. And I, it, I am curious about, like, the total mastery of the offense that he would have had here at Ohio State. Because in the end, again, sometimes guys by, like, year three, right? It's like Chase Young was like, man, like, I, I've been in Columbus for three years. Like, I'm good. Like, I'm good. He was only in Columbus for, like, not even two full years. And one of those seasons was jacked up as all get out. So he never had, like, the full mastery opportunity at Ohio State. So I I think it from that standpoint, he might have been like less of a I can't do this anymore. I gotta get yep. out of here than, than many third year guys who had three full seasons at Ohio State and have NFL aspirations would have been.
0: Can you make a case? And maybe this is going too far but in a different discussion, but it is what it is. CJ Stroud is a better quarterback while Justin Fields is a better football player. Is that a good way to maybe describe them? Because there are some things that they did in the offense this year, especially with some of that over the middle of the field stuff that Ryan Day never really touched with Justin. It was much more get this big-time elite, once-in-a-generation athlete on the move, and let's use that rocket arm. And I'm not saying either offense is wrong. I'm just saying the way that they used them um, were very different in a sense that, like, it seems like you can plot. CJ, just because of what his skill set is into a lot of different offenses in the NFL. While with Justin, we're seeing it with the Bears right now. Nagy has spent a lot of this year not using him the right way. And like Justin's body is kind of paying for it. Like he doesn't get him on the move as much. He doesn't really tap into that elite football side as much because he keeps trying to tap into the quarterback side, which isn't necessarily all the way developed because of everything you just laid out.
2: I mean, Justin does like to hold it. CJ gets rid of it. I mm-hmm. think you maybe could argue with all the things we've talked about with CJ and the mental side of the game and how his brain is his best weapon. I think I think maybe CJ processes it a little better than Justin. And that is not shade at Justin. That is a compliment for CJ. Mm-hmm. And then Justin is just, I mean, rocket arm. They took all, I think they throw some of the stuff over the middle and CJ really developed into that because they can't get the free money outs as much as Justin lived on. Justin had 12 yards on an Mm -hmm. out whenever he wanted it because he can make those NFL throws to the sideline and he throws such a good deep ball. I don't think CJ throws the deep ball as well as Justin and that's not shade at CJ. It's just, I think one of the best things that Justin does. So I do think to your point, they have pretty different skill sets, and I think the characterization you're offering, I don't think is wrong. I think it's an interesting way to think about it But it also leads me a little bit to like, man, give me Justin Fields in year three of an offense with all these things he does well with the deep ball, with the arm strength to the outside, with the ability to move, with the toughness, with the calm. And then like, boom, now we see the best processing we've ever seen Mm -hmm. from Justin. And it might've been a, I mean, it might've been exactly what we're talking about. It might've been a Heisman national title, number one pick Joe Burrow triumvirate year. I mean, I think that, I think that might've been on the table for him. And even that doesn't mean he should have come back. You could guarantee Justin national title, Heisman number one pick in the draft. And it doesn't mean that he should have come back. Right. But I do think all those things might've been out there for him. And I think when he left, he thought he was going second and he wound up going
1: 11th. But I think you could also argue that falling even farther, like, I think he would have had the year that Mac Jones is having for the Patriots if he'd fallen all the way to the Patriots. They like put him on a team with that much yeah. put him on a team with that defense and that um, you know just better infrastructure and uh, I I think he would be in, in a great position. He'd have less money. <laughs> he would have been even more annoyed at how far he fell. But um I think it's part of it is just I don't know. I'm I, I was as a as someone who followed the Bears growing up, I was very Intrigued, and, and when Bears fans asked me about Fields, who didn't follow Ohio State, I was like, no, like, you should be excited. Like, this guy's, I think he's legit. But I also had concerns about where that franchise is going to go in the short term. And those have only been exas- or amplified this season.
2: Well, but they're going to get fired and they're, they're going to yeah. have a completely new regime. He'll have a better coach next year. Well, it, I'm just it, talking it, about the personnel,
1: it, the personnel around him.
0: Yeah, it's just he's he's enough of a raw talent still with such a high ceiling because there's so much to tap into there that if you to both of your points, you've got to get the regime right. You've got to get the personnel right or this could go left very quickly. I do think the idea I think Mac
2: Jones doesn't have the ceiling, but he with like a lot of the RPO stuff there. They have the, the governor on Mac Jones and they're just he's doing what they ask him to do. And I think mm-hmm. long term he's not going to be the kind of quarterback that Justin will be long-term. But, yes, there's a lot of competence that's happening in New England right now. But I also think – God, what's the guy's name? Trey Trey Lance. Trey Lance going two to the Niners. That – I think he's not as ready as Justin is. I think that's undoubtable. And if Justin had gone two to San Francisco, that is a team that does have, I think, almost Super Bowl talent. Mm-hmm. And they had a rough hit a rough patch, but now they're playing pretty well, and they're working Lance in as a wrinkle QB. But Jimmy Garoppolo is the guy. I think if the Niners would have taken Justin Fields, I think Justin Fields might be the starting quarterback for a playoff team right now. That he did happen to go to incompetence in Chicago and a roster that's not great, but like San Francisco is good. San
1: Francisco is a pretty good team. But San, Garoppolo is better than the quarterback San, uh, Chicago had in place. I think San Francisco sure.
0: would have been better off taking the Kansas City Chiefs approach if they had a draft Justin where it's just like sit him. Just sit they him also, for the year, deal with Garoppolo, and then trade Garoppolo in the offseason. And here you go, Justin, take over the keys in year I two. I
2: mean, you can say that Garoppolo is better than what they had. The Niners traded up to two to get a quarterback. They did. So the Niners think that Jimmy Garoppolo stinks long term. Yes. So they have managed with him, but like they don't believe in him or they wouldn't have done what they mm-hmm. did. And then they took a guy from North Dakota State who, like, wasn't ready to do anything else. He's from North Dakota State. Justin Fields played at Ohio State. He played Alabama in the national championship game. North Dakota State, you know who they played? Stony Brook in the national championship game. Oh, wait, I don't know who they played because I don't care because it's a lower level of football. Not everybody who goes to North Dakota State is Carson Wentz. Stop drafting guys from North Dakota State. Take the guy from Ohio State. They traded up to get a quarterback and took a guy from North Dakota State who, who runs zone reads for them. Because they traded up, it's like, oh, wait, no, what are we doing here? Take Justin Fields. Question from the 304. What was your favorite game to be at this season? So was there a game that stood out? It was kind of a weird year. I mean, it was normal in that, you know, people could go to games and there were fans in the stands, but their two biggest games they'd lost – like the two most yeah. exciting games Ohio State lost. So, Nathan, what's your answer to this?
1: I, I had two. And it, it part of it, so I picked the Minnesota game just because it was fans again. There's yeah. so much unknown about the team. You're learning about the team kind of in real time. You're seeing things uh, as they unfold after so many months of speculation. And you feel like you come out of that game learning more about the team than you did in the previous like nine months because you actually got to see them on the field and then and then the other one was Michigan just because that feels like such an experience you know covering uh being at that game in that weather even though that was annoying but uh, for driving I guess but but as far as like the experience of the really? game that just felt like a real that just felt like a different kind of football experience
0: I hated everything about
2: that Michigan game Steve, we made Steven drive. That's why
0: Yeah, so. I hated it. Um, Yeah. How say not really have a good game this year. Now that I'm thinking about it, these games were just kind of either blowing you out or it's man, they're about to lose this game. Cause their defense sucks. Um, The Minnesota game. Yes. Cause it was just exciting to have fans back. It's like the cop out answer, but that's the one I'm going to go with. And then the Penn state game. Cause it was just cool to see a competitive, even if a lot of it was because of mental mistakes by Ohio state, um, that was pretty cool. Cause even like 2019 wasn't that competitive. It was just like Justin Fields fumbled in the red zone and JK Dobbins fumbled. And so Penn State's back into it. So those two come to mind and then the Michigan state team game, just cause like that was the best version of Ohio state we saw all season.
2: Yeah, no, that Michigan state game that it was senior day. And then they played a half of a first half of football that had people asking, is that the best half of Ohio state football you've ever seen? Yeah. It was kind of a thing of like, after senior day is always fun. I am i can't vote for Minnesota. Cause I just don't love Ohio state football opening on the road on a Thursday that like that's at night. Like that's not, I mean, they're just being used. It's like, Hey, cool. Let's go to Minnesota on a Thursday and have them like, I, I'll pick a Saturday afternoon game. But I did think that Michigan game I'll always remember. And it, like, I, and again, you could feel it as it was happening. It's you felt it felt like it was going to be a game because it felt like Michigan was ready for it. And then like it looked like a snow globe and it wasn't enough snow to like ruin the game necessarily, but it made it interesting and it felt important. And there have been a lot of Ohio State Michigan games as of late that haven't felt important. But that to me, in terms of atmosphere. And that the visceral. people, at, the people at Michigan were into yeah. it, you know, this downtrodden Michigan program. They sort of rose to the occasion, and that was before. That was before anything happened. You could feel that in the pregame. And if Ohio State would have overcome that, it would have been like, man, like what an awesome game. So I thought it was honestly, from all those standpoints, the best atmosphere for an Ohio State-Michigan game since 2006, since 1-2 in terms of, of everything that was there, that these are two good teams, and it feels like this should feel. So that would definitely be my answer to that, even though Ohio State lost. Okay, so this is like a really complex question, but we'll try it. And I appreciate the thought and effort put into this. From the 703, Ohio State catches one of these lucky breaks this season. Which one has the biggest impact? Okay, one is Josh Proctor doesn't get hurt. Two is uh, ne- Neotete's eligibility is cleared up before camp and he's healthy all season. It helps at linebacker and the third is zach harrison takes the leap we thought he'd take after seeing what he did in the minnesota game so those are three options let's pick out of those three and then if you want to throw in like well actually i think this is a thing that cropped up that if that would have gone a different way would have been huge nathan of those three choices what are you taking
1: i would take Zach Harrison taking the leap, because I think if he does that, then the Proctor absence is a little bit, what do I say, nullified a little bit, equalized. And Neatote, I I don't know that he, even if he had come in healthy, was he clearly better? Like, would he have definitely played over the guys they had? I don't know that for sure. But I know that if Zach Harrison had been like a first team, uh, all Big Ten defensive end, it would have made this defense better. No question.
0: Steven. Yeah. Um, Zach Harrison, it's not even, not even close. I mean, we spent a lot of time, you know, uh, in hindsight talking about how good Jordan Fuller was as a free safety, the eraser and how good he was and how valuable that was. You know what helps that when you've got a defensive end that's in a quarterback's lap every other play. So if, if Zach Harrison is a clear 10, if he's Aiden Hutchinson, then I don't care who the free safety is because the quarterbacks have to get rid of the ball that much quicker, which helps everybody out.
2: So I think generally speaking, yes, I agree with that over the course of the season would have the biggest impact specifically. So I think Josh Proctor got hurt before CJ Burdell's really long touchdown run in the Oregon game. Is that right? Cause I think Proctor got hurt in the third quarter. And I think the Burdell run was in the third quarter. A sort of back-breaking seventy-seven yarder, and then you think about like the Blake Corum run in the third quarter for Michigan, and it's like, what if Josh Proctor can hold those to twenty-yard runs instead of seventy and sixty-yard runs? And I just they just got killed on a couple big plays in the two games they lost. That I wonder if you had a shutdown back line, no doubt about it. Eraser kind of safety back there. Would that have changed things? Like, like I would take, like, I, if you, Josh Proctor for like four plays <laughs> and, and maybe he wouldn't have made them either because Bryson Shaw, like, again, he graded out high on PFF, sort of like for 70 snaps a game by the end. I mean, he played as much as anybody on the defense once he took over there. Cause they just they didn't rotate there. He was out there every snap. I think like most snaps, he was fine, but every now and then it was like, man, there's a big play and there was maybe an angle to be taken or a tackle to be made and it wasn't done. So part of that leads me a little towards Procter. Nathan, am I crazy?
1: No, I, I see where you're coming from. I just think that the if you're talking about like Harrison had four sacks this year and if he has 12, we're just talking about a completely different defense Yeah,
2: no, I think you guys are right. I think you guys are right on that standpoint. that to sort of what you yeah. said, Steven, it's like, okay, well, yes, maybe those points about those individual runs are true, but if Zach Harrison is destroying the opposing offenses the rest of the game, then whatever. They had a couple big runs.
0: But also, even with the big runs, it's like it's not it's kind of opposite oranges, but we're talking about can Josh Proctor keep them instead of being 60 yard runs or 16 yard runs? What if Zach Harrison just makes it a three-yard loss? You know, it's you think about it that way too.
1: So I guess it's I, not like, just I, sacks.
0: Like,
2: do you think like if Ohio State had Aiden Hutchinson, would they have won the Michigan game? I think well, the answer is maybe yes. Right. Yeah. Assuming so that like, Michigan
1: also didn't have Aiden
2: Hutchinson. Right. Like if you if tra- yes. they had traded for Aiden Hutchinson, because that's normally what it is. Ohio State usually has one of those guys, and Michigan mm-hmm. doesn't. This year, Michigan had one of those guys, and Ohio State didn't. But yeah, if Zach Harrison. If Zach Harrison had Aiden Hutchinson's jeer, which is like, oh, if Zach Harrison had finished second in the Heisman voting and been the number one pick in the draft, what? Well, that's an impossible thing to put on somebody. But, it is again, also, uh,
0: but if you look at the <laughs> crazy, if you look at the recruiting rankings and you say one of these guys is going to do this and the other one's going to do this, you definitely think that Zach Harrison is going to have a, what Aiden Hutchinson ended up doing, why Aiden Hutchinson turns out to be Zach Harrison. Because he's he like a borderline top 100
1: recruit. But he wouldn't have been second in Heisman because some of the things that carried Aiden Hutchinson to that
0: level. Right. Yeah. yeah. But just like the concept of like he gets to New York and stuff. Yeah.
2: But I do think in the end, um, it's, we don't want to make it sound like Zach Harrison, like held Ohio state back. He's a very good football player. Uh This defense did not have a superstar and it often does. And whether it was at linebacker, whether it's at defensive end, whether it's at corner, they didn't have the game breaking guy that they often have. And if they had one of those guys, whoever it would have been, that certainly would have helped this team. All right, the second part of this question is a reverse sort of a thing they just asked, still from the 703. Also, what recruiting miss hurt the team most in 2021? Is it Jordan Battle, the safety who had a pick six in the SEC championship game and was originally committed to Ohio State and then flipped to Bama? Is it the Bill Davis 2018 linebacker recruiting class, or is it Bijan John robinson the running back that could have been in year two at Ohio state. Instead was at year two at Texas and Ohio state started true freshman Travion Henderson. Steven, what do you vote for that
0: for this year? It's yes. the bill Davis linebacker room. I think last year would have been a uh, Jordan battle miss and Bijan John Roberts is just not a factor right now. Cause Travion Henderson is this.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm always going to vote for something that oh, yeah. throws shade at, yes. at bill Davis, of course, yeah. but I mean, that that's also real. Um, the 2018 linebacker class in recruiting is Taraja Mitchell, who was the number 44 recruit in the country. And just like, I don't know, man, just like never, never played to that. Dallas Gantt, number 166, again, just never played to it. Kayvon Pope, 217, um, like just like didn't happen. That was actually like, like a good linebacker recruiting class compared to some of the other stuff they had. I just, they hit. They are in a ditch of linebacker recruiting and development that, it, that it's more than a blip. And it's, and it's a lot of it is because of Bill Davis. And then Al Washington came to sort of um, clean up the mess. And I think there was some developmental stuff that maybe was held back you know, that, that Al Washington is trying to make better when he gets here and maybe it's a little bit too late. But also Al Washington, I don't think, has done a great job. I mean, just by – in terms of the linebacker recruiting and the linebacker development, the linebackers weren't good enough this year, and a lot of that's on Al Washington as well. But that that 2018 class wound up the way it did, Nathan. I mean, those are three guys who, as fourth-year players, we thought were going to make an impact, and two of them left and one of them wasn't playing by the end of the year, and it, and it hurt this
1: team. Yeah, I mean to get three linebackers in one class and none of them were really proved to ever be starter worthy. I mean, I know Trodja Mitchell did start games this year but was eventually surpassed by you know, so I by a guy who was a running back a few months earlier. So, um I, I that that's a huge miss.
2: All right, last couple things that we'll do them next on
1: Buckeye Talk. All right, back with a seasonal treat
2: question, which I thought about saving because I feel like I'd go 15 minutes on this. From the 740, better seasonal treat, the Little Debbie Christmas tree cakes or Reese's, uh, they say Reese's eggs, but at this time of year, it would be the Reese's trees. And I'm just gonna say like, I'm gonna vote the Reese's holiday candy is one of my favorite things because it adjusts the peanut butter to chocolate ratio. Of the typical peanut butter cup. And I like a more peanut butter, less chocolate ratio. And it is very interesting when you go through it. Again, I grew up five miles from a Reese's plant in Hershey, Pennsylvania. So I have a lot of thoughts on this. You are constantly adjusting the peanut butter to chocolate ratio with the different sizes of the Reese's products. And you have to find what works for you. But I like a lot of peanut butter. And there was a time when Reese's only did the eggs. And I loved Easter. I'd get Reese's eggs in my in my Easter basket when I was a kid, because that was the only time you got the bigger, thicker, more peanut butter treat. And then they figured out, well, let's, we'll just do it year round. Now they have Reese's Hearts at Valentine's Day and they have the eggs and then they have the Reese's Pumpkins at Halloween. And they, I don't think they have Reese's Turkeys, they have Reese's Trees. So they're always offering you that better peanut butter chocolate ratio year round. So it's almost not seasonal anymore because you can almost find that treat almost year-round, but I do prefer them to the cups. So I'm definitely going to vote Reese's here. I know some people who love Buckeyes in Ohio won't want to hear that conversation. Nathan, you may also expand your palate here. One of those seasonal treats or a different seasonal treat that you look forward to around the Christmas holidays?
1: You know, I'm, I'm definitely Reese's over the other option there. I mean, chocolate and peanut butter will always win out for me. Um, I'm, I'm in a, a family that does sugar cookies a lot. Like my mom and sister do sugar cookies. They brought a bunch here for Thanksgiving, that then we put in the freezer. We're still eating sugar cookies from Thanksgiving. So those are kind of what I associate, um, the holidays with is just like all of the, the stuff that my mom makes over the years like she was very much like making her own stuff we don't have to go to the store to buy that stuff she was always making peanut brittle and um, chocolate covered pretzels and all that stuff so we always had our own stuff around the holidays
2: I've never had any of the Baird family treats at the holiday season this is your yeah. th- third year here how about or, that uh, bring them in the office or share what
0: them? office <laughs> What office we're in our offices right we're now. in three different <laughs> rooms three different uh, <laughs>
2: yeah. zip codes right now a nice little tin at interviews. You offer them uh, to everybody uh, just to see, you know think about it for 2022. Steven, well,
0: you got a holiday treat in mind? Not really. Not for Christmas. Um, just because I don't eat a lot of sweets. More for like the fall. Anything pumpkin I love. Oh, you're one of the pumpkin guys. Yeah. Yeah. I love pumpkin cookies, pumpkin bread, all that stuff. But like for Christmas, not really. I'm boring, apparently.
1: Yeah, my mom makes pumpkin roll around Thanksgiving, hey. which is like the cream cheese with the mm-hmm. – then you roll it up. Oh, it's, it's great.
2: From bring the that Fo- too. Yeah. We'll just make a schedule. Here's <laughs> what Nathan's bringing to the next interview session. Yeah. From the 513, should there be a bidding war between Fox and ESPN for Joshua Perry? So Joshua Perry was on with me last week talking about the Urban Meyer situation. He is definitely the best dressed Buckeye that I ever covered. And I commented on that fact while he was here at Ohio State. But he's also one of the smartest Buckeyes that I've ever covered. Um, We did get good feedback on that interview. He's at the Big Ten Network right now. And I will say the thing that I I liked about our, our interview with Joshua is that he speaks in a very mannered way that... He almost speaks. And I, this is this is a like a compliment to him. I promise. He almost speaks in a way that is preparing you for him to be boring, because he doesn't rant and rave. But then the things that he says are not boring. He is not afraid to give you his opinion, and it's like a smart, it's an analytical take, it's a player perspective take. He said things on on in that interview that like, well, I hadn't thought of that. You know, like that, like I but he presents it in like a very rational way. I just, I, I do think he, if he wants to do that, and I think he does, um, he was talking about how when he went into interview at the Big Ten Network, they were like, ah, eh, just come in, we'll see what happens. And after he talked to them, they were like, had a contract in their hand the minute he walked out of the interview. So like, clearly the guy's got some some skills in the game. Uh, you think Joshua Perry is headed for great things, Nathan?
1: I'd like to see him in a studio role. Maybe he could just be, Urban at Fox, if Urban's too hot right now, maybe he could take that. I want to see him at a place that's more analytical like that. Like you're saying, I think he would fit in better there. I, I'm, I don't watch anything on ESPN. I think we've talked about this before. Like, it's just, I find all their programming pretty uh, terrible and I don't want to see him. He's not going to fit in, in like the hot take, uh, world, and those uh, revolving talking head shows I think he'd be a waste there um, and and mostly because I would never watch them I don't want him to be on there so uh, it's something where he could like really get into football chops and, and 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 use those I think would be the best fit for him
0: he Steven, talks
1: like
0: you yeah, he talks like a football player like a former football player who knows his audience didn't play football Mm. And I think that's the most important thing that you need to be when you're a former football player in those roles is you have to remember most of the people that, you're, that are listening to you don't know the game the way you do. So you've got to kind of talk down a little bit. And he does a great job of doing that. I would like to see him if he were to end up at ESPN doing stuff like Kobe Bryant's detail show mm. where he takes, especially like this past year's defense of hmm, is this linebacker really out of position or is he doing his job? He just didn't do it that well. You know, I would love to see him doing more stuff like that than just sitting up in a studio talking about um, who should be the four teams in the playoff because that stuff is great. But what's even more interesting is like when you get these former players in that role where they're basically just breaking down film, which I think is where they star. And because now they're back in their comfort zone.
2: I will say my least favorite thing is when they have former players and coaches doing analysis and it's like, all right, we're coming back for the third quarter, former player. What does team X need to do in the second half? And they're like, yeah. they've got to, they've got to want it more. They just got to focus. And it's like, you're saying things that any person could yeah. say, say yeah. a thing that only someone who played the game could say, say a thing that only someone who coached the game could say. And if Joshua Perry was on Fox or ESPN, he would not say they need to want it more, you know, like he mm-hmm. would give you actual football stuff that you hadn't thought of. So, um, Good luck to Joshua, and thanks again to him for coming on Buckeye Talk last week. If you missed it, his name's in the headline of the show, so I would go find that. Uh, we don't want to give spoilers away here, but um, I, I think people are enjoying the new Spider-Man movie. I did, ha- I have seen the new Spider-Man movie. I think it's called uh, Spider-Man Web of Lies. I don't know what it's called. Who's no your favorite? Home. No Way Home. Spider-Man. Who's your favorite Spider-Man actor. So there's, uh, there's the, the guy with the big eyes and there's the guy with the wall of hair and there's the guy who looks, who's kind of looks scared all the time.
1: So, You're talking about the guy who actually plays Spider-Man in these movies.
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: yeah. I like no. to pronounce it like it's a last name. Spider-Man. Yeah, that's,
2: that's, on a, that's like a friends thing. That's how Phoebe on Friends says it. Spider-Man. Oh, is it? Okay.
1: Yeah. Uh,
2: and, uh, I, and then they did the cartoon one and the cartoon one I thought was good a little while that's ago. was the best one. But um, has anyone seen the news, the new Spider-Man movie yet? Did you guys see it yet? I saw it. Steven, do you have a Spider-Man preference?
0: Tobey Maguire, because that's the Spider-Man that I grew up on. He, I, he, I,
1: he yeah, he looks I like Tobey Maguire. Yeah, I picked Tobey Maguire, too, because that was all the Spider-Man I needed. And my favorite, my favorite tweet from the last calendar year, actually, it's a little more than calendar year, December 8th last year. Somebody tweeted do I have to watch Spider-Man 1 2 3 1 2 1 and 2 to understand what's yes. going on in Spider-Man 3? We don't need yes. more Spider-Man. We don't. Yes. They didn't need to reboot it and then immediately reboot it again. Like there are it? all we I'm we need less comic book movies. I I feel. I want more yeah. like movies that are original and show me something I haven't seen than showing me Spider-Man for the third time in like a decade. So Tobey Maguire was all we needed. We didn't need Andrew Garfield. We didn't need what's his name that's there now. Tom Holland. We needed like a 20 year break before they did the next Spider-Man.
0: I'll say this. Um, Spider-Man movies make a lot of money, so that's never going to stop. Like a lot of money. It's all kind all of ridiculous. Of
1: yeah, yeah. All of the. But I like
0: understand. him, but him like specifically, like the autorized does an entire episode where the whole point of it is, can they beat the Spider-Man movie? Um I think the Tom Holland version of, of Spider-Man is the most like the comics though. Cause he actually acts like a teenager and it's mm. not some a dramedy, which is what um, Tobey Maguire's was now that I'm older. It's like, Oh, woe is me. I have to save the world and Mary J. I love oh, no. her so much. That's good. But, um, yeah. You know, but I, 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 I do agree with Nathan in the idea that it feels like everything is just like being redone in Hollywood. And it's not just with uh, uh, comic book movies. It's just like, everything's a remake. It's like nobody has a new idea out there anymore. So uh, I have some ideas, Hollywood. If you want to hire me,
1: um, I think like, Into the Spider Verse was the best one. I think that's the best Spider Man movie.
0: Yeah, no, that uh, I was good. That.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: I like. I think. I think Stephen Means might be my favorite Spider Man now.
1: I like that.
0: Mary Jane. Okay. Uh, we'll Marvel finish. holler at me. I'll give me Miles Morales for you.
2: We have an announcement. a Buckeye Talk announcement. Stephen Means is leaving the podcast to go be Spider Man. Yep. That would be quite a thing. All right, we're gonna finish with Jim Knowles. With the hiring of Jim Knowles, it seems odd that there is this sense he may not get to bring in his guys for his staff. So if you were Knowles and had a blank slate of position coaches, which coaches are you keeping in the current staff and which are you letting go? So I I do think it's not like, as we mentioned before, Clemson, when they hired Brent Venables almost a decade ago, he didn't get to bring in his whole guys. Like, it's not exactly when you're a coordinator that you, you wipe the staff and bring in your guys if the head coach didn't change. I don't think. That's a fair assumption to make, even though it does feel like Jim Knowles is going to have a lot of power on that side of the ball to figure out how Ohio state's going to play. I don't know that that's part of it. Nathan, we did cover a lot of the assistant coach stuff in the last rapid fire. We did, who would you keep? Who would, who would, who should leave? So we could also just generally talk about this idea of, I don't know, like, like, how much control do you think Jim Knowles should have over who the rest of the defensive coaches
1: are? He needs, I guess. There, I mean, I would have him in the conversation in some way, but I don't know if he, if you give him carte blanche to come in and just like clean everybody out and hire his own guys again. He's he's coming in to scheme, and if you, if 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 Ohio State thinks the guys that it has are good development guys, player development guys, skill development guys, then I think that's kind of all that matters. Give him, give him guys that are developed and let him scheme it. So certainly in the case of like, like he may have like, maybe his best friend in the world is a good defensive line coach, but you're not just like nudging Larry Johnson aside for that guy. You know what I mean? No, I agree with
2: that. And, and they have to be able to recruit. I think the, it, it becomes even more important for yeah. the other defensive, defensive assistants to be big-time recruiters, and they certainly have at least a couple guys on the staff, Stephen, who would qualify as that. So do you think Knowles should be able to pick his dudes?
0: No, I don't think coordinators get to pick their guys. I think he should have some input. I think you know, Ryan Day should go, hey, you know, you've been around these guys for a little bit. What do you think? What do you not think? But at the end of the day, it's Brian Day's decision and only his to make. Yeah,
2: I, I think that's fair. And I think we kind of covered it. You know, I think we all think Kerry Combs is a good position coach. We don't know if the salary fits. We don't know if the demotion fits. Larry Johnson is as good as anybody who's ever done it at his position. He's getting up there in age, but if he wants to be here, I think he has to be here. And I think everybody agrees on that. And then Al Washington, I think is a little, maybe a little bit up in the air Parker. Someone's got to go. Parker Fleming is barely a defensive coach. And then it seems like they like Matt Barnes, but um, I think Jim Holt Knowles has input but doesn't necessarily get to pick his guys. Last two are kind of related, but we'll do them separately. It's Carl from Oklahoma City in the 405. Measurable outcomes are important. What are their measurables that should define Jim Knowles' first year as defensive coordinator? How will, he, will we define its level of success? I agree with this, Stephen. But I also don't know, Nathan, and either of you guys could jump in here. I also don't know – if there's a measurable that actually matters other than like get to the playoff, right? That is it. Would you say they need to rank in the top 20 in the nation against the run? They need to force this many turnovers per game. They need to blitz this percent of the time. I, Nathan, we'll start with you. Is there a measurable that matters other than is your defense good enough to win the games you have to win?
1: A couple of things that, Jump to me. I, I like to look at opposing quarterback efficiency ratings. Sometimes that is um, affected by just the talent level of the quarterback you're playing against, but we all know the talent level of the average Big Ten quarterback. So I feel like if Ohio State is having success there, I mean, the 2020 year, people looked at the, like, the, the yards they gave up, which I thought was somewhat indicative of the talent that they played over just those eight games, that it got spiked a little bit by Penix and Lawrence and Alabama. But when you looked at quarterback efficiency rating against them, it was still pretty bad. That was, I thought, a better measure of, of why that defense had problems. And so I think if you if you have a good quarterback efficiency defensive rating, I'm saying that backwards, but like if if you if you keep that down, I think that's showing that you're affecting the quarterback and you're probably having success against the run on early downs, putting those quarterbacks into advantageous situations for your defense. The other stat I would look at, though, is third down. Oklahoma State's been one of the best third down defenses in the country the last two years. Yeah, even last year when they were still like coming on, they weren't great yet, but they were great on third down. and They were great on third down again this year. And if he can translate that to Ohio State, that to me would be an indication that his system, his scheme, and what he's teaching, he was able to transition that to Ohio State.
0: 25.81% on third down this past year, second in the country behind Houston to that point. I think it's third down, but then outside of the third, because this, this third down is just, can you get off the field, especially when you've got offenses like this, But it's I think because of what Ohio State's offenses are going to be going forward, um, especially next year with the second-year starting quarterback, one of the best wide receivers in the country, one of the best running backs in the country, it's not necessarily – I don't know if they have to be, like, super elite at anything. They just can't have a gaping hole where you're wondering every single week, is the team that they're playing going to be able to expose it? You know, last year was – You know, they couldn't cover this past year. It's they couldn't stop the run. So if it's almost like, can this defense be a jack of all trades? Master of none, though, and get off the field on third down. And that's good enough. It's good enough to get this offense who can score 40 points pretty much in their sleep. Most of the time, as long as they're not getting in their own way. Can he can this defense be enough to only give up 14 to 17 points and, you know, not give up big chunk plays and have gaping holes in it?
1: I think it's also situational because everything we talk about is how this team was so vulnerable against the run defensively. You know where they ranked nationally in yards allowed per attempt 22nd. Like they're not mm-hmm. like at the bottom of, it's not like the, with the passing defense the year before where the numbers piled up that way, but in the games where they had to stop the run, they got gashed. I mean, they're giving up seven yards a carry to at Oregon and Michigan. So it's, 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 it's almost, that's more important to me is those situations than like a year long indicator. Like when they have to do, when they have to stop the things that their best opponents do well, do they do it?
2: That's a very comprehensive answer by you guys. I was going to be like, oh, just win the game, man. You guys like came loaded for that. We'll finish with this on Jim Knowles. From the 813, what does it mean for Ryan Day, big picture, long-term, if the Jim Knowles hire doesn't work for whatever reason and the defense still sucks and is the reason they don't make the playoff or win the Big Ten? Not saying I think that will happen, but just playing a what-if scenario. I love what-if scenarios, so I appreciate what this, where this person is coming from because I think it does add some context to this. Um, does it have to work? <laughs> like, I, I'm not so sure that. Here's the thing, because it's like, well, what's what does you mean? Like, are people going to lose their jobs if the defense doesn't get better in the next two years? No, I don't. I don't think that's what it means, but. If we wind up in a scenario where Ryan Day is an offensive head coach and the offense is putting up a lot of points and they're losing games they can't afford to lose because they can't stop anybody, that is untenable long-term. And so Jim Knowles is here to fix that, but if they lose two games next year and two games the following year and when you look at them, it's like, well, they got gashed by pretty good offenses in a way that they couldn't afford, Nathan, like, that's terrible. <laughs> so I, I think, like, it needs to work.
1: Ah, absolutely. I mean, if, in both of these situations, you would say the defense was a contributing factor into why those teams didn't achieve as much as they could have. Though, again, Alabama, what were they necessarily going to do? But I do think, I mean, how much better did this defense really have to be in order for Ohio State to be in the playoff right now, like if they had just given up five yards of carry to Oregon and Michigan, but not given up the big play, like all the all you have to do is find a way to 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 lock off that big play, and the, this team wins two more games probably. It doesn't take those two losses, so it's not a huge leap to make this defense as good as it needs to be to make the playoff. I would also say I don't think it's for whatever reason because if the reason is they're still not recruiting and recruiting the right guys and then developing them to an impact making level that doesn't really have a lot to do with Jim Knowles necessarily. So that's still a, that's, it's a problem that's affecting this, not necessarily because of the guys who are here now, but they're trying to, they're playing catch up with recruiting misses that happened on defense a couple three years ago. And if they don't fix those things, it may not matter how good Jim Knowles is.
0: And the thing is from a personnel standpoint, some of that stuff defensively got fixed in 2022 with that recruiting class but they're still just freshmen. So you can't – I mean, C.J. Hicks and Sonny Styles, and then maybe the list stops as far as guys, especially defensively, that you should be going. You should be having an impact in year one. So even then, you can't – you have to kind of look forward a little bit more. But I do think that you can't – yeah, it can't – it has to look better, meaning it just – it can't be the same. You can't lose reasons for the exact same, same reason you lost games this past season. And I think that's, that's showing progress right now.
2: So if you wind up being a program that has an offensive head coach that scores a lot of points and has defensive issues that seemingly can't get solved, you're Oklahoma. Mm. Well, Oklahoma has been the fourth best program in the country, right? They made the playoff, and then when they got to the playoff, everybody was like, well, they're going to vote 70 in the playoff. So Oklahoma has proven in that Lincoln-Riley era they couldn't win a national title. The way they tried to play, they couldn't win a national title with a defense that was that unreliable. Even though they were, they had an assembly line of Heisman-winning quarterbacks. So that's that feels like that. That's what we would be describing here. Not that Ohio State falls off a cliff and it's terrible, but and maybe they even do make the playoff. But all of a sudden, like you feel like you would be living in a world where your program has an Achilles' heel that it cannot overcome, and you cannot win a national championship this way. And that would be a weird reality to enter. Because, I mean, listen, man, Ohio State hasn't won a national title since t- 2014, but I, it felt like every year almost that they could. And I don't know that anybody in Oklahoma was like, oh, they could win the national title, although I picked them with a national title this year. But you always did it with the understanding of, this is the year they fixed the defense, right? This is Alex Grinch. This is the year you finally – because if they don't, It's not going to happen. And, like, they never did. And now Alex Grinch is at USC. (laughs) God, to be Alex Grinch, man. Just have everybody assume you're a a game-changing defensive coordinator. You never really do it. And then you get to go to USC when your head coach bolts. Woo! Sign me up for that.
0: Can Ohio State be Oklahoma in the Big Ten, though? Which is, like, so much better than the Big 12. Because part of the reason they were able to make the playoffs so much is because, well, in a conference where everybody scores, nobody could score like Oklahoma. Yeah. There are some teams here that play defense. But then also, like, the quarterback, the ceiling's not right, but the floor of the quarterbacks in the Big Ten is raising. So, like, Oklahoma made, what, like three, four playoffs in a row and got to a national title game? I don't know if the the end result is the same because Ohio State's not in the same conference. I don't know if they make the playoff every year. But Oklahoma,
2: Oklahoma never won a playoff game. They, they should have, but they lost in overtime to Georgia.
0: Yes, you're right, because it was Georgia-Alabama again. They so over, yeah, they over never over won a playoff. Four. So to the point of, I don't know if Ohio State gets into the playoff every single year, and it's just like the team who gets blown out.
2: Well, it, it sort of connects back to the stuff we started off with. It, mm-hmm. If that's who Ohio State winds up being and Michigan rises up, then you're they're not going to be sustainable. Because Oklahoma was able to sustain a playoff-level program no with a Texas. glaring deficiency because Texas stunk. Mm-hmm. Texas didn't have one deficiency. Texas had five. So the fact that Oklahoma had one deficiency was still enough to be one of the four best programs in the country. But maybe I think it would be more difficult for Ohio State to enter the Oklahoma scenario in the Big Ten. But also that's like that's a tough place to be. That That's a treadmill, too. Well, we're always in the playoff, but we never have a chance to win it because we have this one thing that we can survive in the regular season, but we can't ever survive at the highest level. And that's just right, Nathan. well, we'll wrap up with this, but like that to me, again, this is defined this Ohio State era. They have not won a national title since 2014. But, I mean, is it fair to say that every single year since then, Ohio State fans and players and coaches and administrators – And donors and boosters entered the season believing they could with actual sincere realistic belief not fanciful hey it's the jersey that's good enough like real football reasons to think yeah they could win it and i just don't know that oklahoma reasonably could live in that world so if you got to a point where you had a weakness that you couldn't fix, I think that reality might change. And that would be hard, I think, for people to deal with.
1: Yes, but even with that weakness, which we think will probably not be like completely addressed next year, like I think they're a national championship contender because of just what they'll be able to do on offense. And even this year, as much as we criticize the defense, um, if they just had blocked Aiden Hutchinson better in that Michigan game. Maybe they go. Who cares what their defense did? So it's they're they're not in a bad place. This isn't I don't think they're on the precipice of tumbling off somewhere. Do they have issues they have to address? Absolutely, they do. They've, as Stephen pointed out, they've already started doing them. It's just a matter of how many holes do you plug in time for 2022. But 2023 has always been the, the year that seemed like was theirs to win. And I think they're probably still on that trajectory.
2: I will say we got multiple questions about is 2023 still the year? And when we're done with the Rose Bowl and we're back, we will do 2023, the pod part two. We will revisit what we said on that original. Will Ohio State have the best college football team ever in 2023 and talk about what has changed, what hasn't changed. Were we right? Were we wrong? We got a lot of questions about that, and that's something worthwhile to do in January, and we certainly will do that. For now, thanks for listening. We'll have another pod coming your way, breaking down Utah and Ohio State and this matchup for the Rose Bowl. For now, for Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye I Buckeye Talk.